So the weekend is upon us, at least once everybody completes the work day today, as it is a Friday heading into Wild Card Weekend, heading into getting set up for Indiana and Purdue to start things off for next weekend, heading into the Pacers on their West Coast trip after they stop in Atlanta first, that game tonight, by the way, at 730 and the New England Patriots have a new coach. lot to talk about, a lot to go over over the next couple of hours. Good afternoon to you. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook here as well, as he always is on Query and & Company. And Eddie Garrison manning the controls for us here on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan, Jimmy, I'm going to begin with this. Um, Maybe I, I was off base, wouldn't be the first time, or, or just was misunderstood. Or, or excuse me, maybe I misunderstood I thought today was when all hell was supposed to break loose in the meteorological uh, orgy apocalypse, but is that actually, did we just get lucky with the temperature so it's going to be rainy and gross and gray all day, or is it tomorrow when things are supposed to really get nasty? Yeah, tomorrow it arrives, supposed to be relatively windy, I believe. You'll see that drop today, high of 44 is your label, I think that's about what it was when I was driving in. High of 26 tomorrow, low of 8. And then the real fun begins on Sunday, high of nine, low of seven. But the precipitation ends like today, right? Yeah. No precipitation in the forecast in the So what days. we need to do is get out like wet vacs and things like that and make sure that everything's dry so that it doesn't all then freeze over. Yes, correct. That should be the mission of all the vigilantes across central Indiana. So if you're out and traveling, especially this weekend, uh, certainly be careful. Look, I, I hate cold weather I, I hate the winter time but I, I would rather it be cold and just gray than precipitation even at this point snow I guess maybe one snow is kind of nice for a day because we haven't really had it to look at yet but after that like I'm done with it right yeah you're wearing your chief shirt I notice I am wearing a chief shirt now today. you're right Jake. now I'm gonna pull a demone to Ratner here when we show up at um the house to go swimming did you just get that out of the hamper uh it was in Maybe the closet it's, you know Look, what it's stacked with a ton of shirts it is wrinkly i was self-conscious Actually, about it now it's you know valid what? thank you i appreciate no, it I, i'm gonna defend you here it's not even that I, I don't think it's wrinkly to be honest with you there are so many shadows coming off of your microphone onto your shirt that that's what makes it look such i, I don't think it's as bad once you put it was the shadows of the okay of the microphone i'm like good lord i think that you're honest enough to not just say that to make me feel better i think you genuinely do think it's the shadow nah, you so know I what appreciate it. i um i don't iron t-shirts right right i hang dry them though which sometimes helps sure but i don't dry them because like you my torso is large enough that i don't want anything to shrink right yeah i, I hit it with a uh hit it with some downy wrinkle release spray before i left today just in case. <laughs> okay. So so you are wearing your Super Bowl champ. Is that which Super Bowl championship is that? This is from this past February. Is that a good luck charm for the weekend? I mean, it just, it's a, this is the last time other than for a retro vibe that I could break it out because they're, they're yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a workout shirt. It's just a general casual wear shirt. And I'm not a big guy of wearing championship shirts when you didn't win a championship couple years go by yeah you bring it back out it's a retro shirt but for now this is the last wearing of this t-shirt potentially depending on how things go for kansas city tomorrow so there's the backstory one of the most difficult things in sports i think would be to replace a coaching legend and i was just talking to somebody about this today when it comes to nick saban 
you almost feel like Alabama may be in a situation where, and I think, you know, it's a little bit different because Saban is retiring. So it's not like he got, you know, it's not like the Bob Knight situation where Knight was fired and you felt like they kind of had to go with an interim to kind of bridge things and that that would be a difficult thing for whoever it was going to be. But even still, one would assume, while Alabama is the creme de la creme in college football, and they may well get a Dabo Sweeney or, you know, one of the more established names, Lane Kiffin, whatever it might be. Can we talk about one thing with that, by the way, that whole list that came out yesterday? I'm sorry, because I know I'm a Notre Dame fan, and like there is a, a respect there to some extent. Tommy Reese is not going to be the next head coach of Alabama. Well, hear me out here. You you think there's a path? Hear me out. Okay. There is some truth to the fact that when you have a job that is that high profile, that there may be a strategy or a, a thought process of, look, a big time veteran coach is going to look at that and go, I don't need, like, I'll take Dabo Sweeney, Lane Kiffin, one of those two guys, right? Dabo Sweeney's like, look, I'm making $15 million at Clemson. I've won two national titles. I'm the face of this program. I don't need to go into a place where automatically I then become number two at best. Number three, really, at Alabama, but but number two of, of late. So there might be a thought for a school like that of, it may be in our best interest to get a young guy to give him two or three years to see what he has, and then if that doesn't work out, then we go land another whopper. But in the meantime, it's going to be difficult to go from legend to legend. Now, you certainly go and kick the tires on all those legends first, Jimmy, but what I'm saying to you is if they end up going in-house with a younger person or a coordinator, then it probably is because they realized that those coaches that they have reached out to are not yet ready to leave South Bend or Eugene or Clemson or Ole Miss or whatever it may be. In the case of the NFL, there might be some truth to that as well because I think most people thought that the New England Patriots were going to go out and get an established head coach with a resume in Mike Vrabel. I think most people thought that was the slam dunk, no doubt about it. But it turns out, Jimmy, that in fact, the New England Patriots, if all reports are accurate, have found their guy and they didn't have to look very far, right? No, they did not. And for everything that is going to happen, the only issue that I have in general with where the Patriots are headed in that direction is it appears that with them promoting Mayo from within as their next head coach, the only, and Jake, you probably have a more familiar recall on this than I do, or a more like reference that'll carry more weight. I think back to when Letterman left the late show. Right. And they go and they end up hiring Stephen Colbert to be the new host of that. But it was in the late, late show's host at the time, Craig Ferguson's contract that he was either to A, get that job, or B, be paid out like a handsome amount of money, a million dollars plus, something along those lines. And that's what wound up happening, because it was in his contract. 
I'd be very curious. We'll never get the details to know with Mayo now getting elevated. If it was in his contract that either he is the next head coach or he gets paid an amount of money. I'm just curious what the language was with that. Obviously it doesn't really matter because he got the job, but that's the first reference that comes to mind for me of a heir having in their contract listed. Right. Hey, I'm the big dog. If this happens, here's the thing. It's Rob Mayo, who was the linebacker coach for the New England Patriots and had been a, you know, he, he had played in the New England Patriots. The players called him, you know, Bill Jr. Because he was so, like, they he, he, he had the football acumen, seemingly, of a Bill Belichick. So I, I think probably internally there were people that thought that this was Maybe a while ago, you know, people thought this was going to be the guy. Who knows? But he's now the youngest coach in the NFL at 37 years old. So to me, it does make some sense because you, it is a difficult thing to replace a legend like that. And so maybe at sometimes the ease, the transfer of power, if you will, is easier when it seems as though the legend is kind of handing things off and you're keeping continuity of that for your fan base and everything else. And then if it doesn't work out, you can always lean back on, yeah, but it was the no-brainer because he was kind of the heir apparent from the get-go, to your point, or he was a guy that that seemingly was carrying on the exact same thing, the exact same role, the exact same philosophy, um, if you will. And I think it benefits some extent for Gerard Mayo because it's not like the Patriots over the last four or five seasons have been this power. Right, it's it's a legacy that's there. You never want to, in theory, replace the guy, but it's not like Belichick has been rolling in riches the last four or five years. These aren't the same Patriots. Whereas, like if Bill Belichick rode off into the sunset in 2018, 2019 Super Bowl, and he retired, then and you're trying to find your replacement. You're coming off a Super Bowl win. I get it. It's still a brand. It is still a historic, one of the winningest franchises in the history of the NFL that you are now being the next line of lineage to, but at least there's not this, oh, well, they've been winning for years and now they're bringing in a young coach, even though, albeit one that has proven himself and it's been in that system for quite some time. So does this officially, even though he's the inside linebacker coach of the Patriots and, and was there and played for the Patriots and was a pro bowler for the Patriots, Belichick being gone, does that officially now put to bed or put on mute or on silent the Colts-Patriots rivalry. Who's the Colts' biggest rival? I mean, again, it depends what defines a rival. Everybody will say in your division there's a rivalry, but for so long the Colts dominated the division. There wasn't a clear foe. I guess Tennessee, maybe. Right now, like if you think of the... I mean, I get it, maybe it's Houston because they bounced you out, but if you're looking in the division, which one is there the most back and forth between the fan bases, I would argue it's probably the Colts and the Titans. Over Houston? Eddie, your thoughts? That's the next iteration. That is the next iteration is Colts-Texans, based on where the quarterbacks are going. Yes, correct. I don't think they have one right now. If you were to ask, okay, here we go. We need to get... I need the biggest Colts fan... I need the biggest Colts fan in Indianapolis to call in the show right now. If you think you are the biggest Colts fan in Indianapolis, call in the show right now because Robin the Genie has a question for you. 
Now, there is a way that I can determine if you're the biggest Colts fan in Indianapolis, right? I have my own, like, test that I can do. If you call it 239-1070, I can determine whether or not you are truly a Colts fan or a Colts fan poser with one of my favorite trivia questions in Colts fan history. But I need a Colts fan perspective on, like, the question that I have for them. It's got to be the guy that dresses up like Optimus Prime, right? Like, that has to... I don't, don't know if we're going to get him, but it has to be him, right? Like there are there are now. Here's the I could ask the question. My my ultimate like entry test at the pearly gates of Colts fandom is who was the first ever draft pick in Indianapolis Colts history. If you know the first draft pick in Indianapolis Colts history, you are an OG, right? Like you are, or how about this? Since we're heading into playoff weekend. Super wild card weekend, Jake. Super wild card weekend. Who was the first? If you know this, I'd be impressed. Who was the first team the Indianapolis Colts faced in the playoffs? Who was the first playoff opponent in Indianapolis Colts history? That's probably a better and less esoteric question than knowing that Leonard Coleman, the defensive back out of Vanderbilt, was the first ever draft pick of the Indianapolis Colts. But I'm not going to... I'm not going to even necessarily give trivia since I just did it on the air for proof. I'm just going to trust these people, right? I'm going to trust trust. these folks. I like it. Now, now, Jimmy, you took the calls. Uh, I did? Get ready for – excuse me. Eddie, you took the calls. There's a Jimmy on there. Sorry. Okay. I will allow you, Eddie, to tell me which of these you think we should go ahead and let them – they're going to have a conversation with Robin the Genie, by the way. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, Robin has Robin just sashayed his way into the building. Okay. He magically appears from time to time. So, which person, Eddie, between these did you did you feel the vibe was in fact the biggest Colts fan listening at the moment? Mm. Shows over at three. I know. I'm gonna go with Paul. <laughs> All right, Paul. Paul, what's up? What's up, Jake? Now, is this this isn't Paul the mailman, is it? This is the director of giddiness. Yeah, I love that. Let's go. Paul, the director of giddiness. All right, Paul. Now, we're going to let you talk to Robin the Genie in a minute here, which is a historic moment, Paul, because you are not only director of giddiness, but, I mean, for you to be able to talk to our director of future forecasting is something in its own right. But, Paul, I'm curious of this. As a self-proclaimed diehard fan of the Indianapolis Colts, do you recall, going in the Wayback Machine, Paul, do you remember who the first ever opponent in a playoff game featuring the Indianapolis Colts. Do you remember who they played? Uh, that was, let me see. That was when we got, if I'm not mistaken, Eric Dickerson. That is correct. Uh, they were divisional winners. I, I, I want to say either the Steelers or the Browns. I'm 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 not for certain. Uh, now let me let me say Buc- this, Paul. Let me say this, Buffalo? Paul. Paul, of those two guesses, go with the one that your name most closely associates with. Well, I guess Pittsburgh. Oh, come Pittsburgh. on, man! Who are the Browns named for? Oh, Paul Brown Stadium. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go, Paul. All right. That's Cincinnati. Cleveland Browns. Oh, that's Cincinnati. Okay. Okay. Cleveland Browns. Let's, Cleveland Browns is go. correct. Okay. Well, so. Well, Eddie, I'm a I'm a Colts fan, not a not a Bengals fan. <laughs> All right, Paul. Robin the genie has walked in and has a question for you. Are you ready? 
Let's go. Paul, it is me, Rabin the Genie. My question for you, my friend, is the director of giddiness while you supply happiness to the people of the 317. As a reward for you, I have the ability to pick one team that will never again defeat the Indianapolis Colts. Which team awakens in you so much disdain that you would hope that they never again are able to beat your beloved Blue Horseshoe? Good question from Robin. Good question, Paul. That's a good way of measuring it. Who are you going with? Jacksonville. Now, are you going strategically on that, or are you going based on hatred? I'm going based off strategically. I'm going based off hatred, and I'm going based off they, <laughs> they've been kicking our butts here lately. All right, so, there we go. The, hey, the director of giddiness has spoken. And so, therefore, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Doug Peterson and the boys never again beating the Indianapolis Colts. We have determined on this program through our scientific method that the biggest rival in 2023 of the Indianapolis Colts is none other than the Jacksonville Jaguars. Can I ask a quick follow-up? What was the Colts trivia question you asked him? Who was the first playoff opponent of the Indianapolis okay. Colts? All right. I just want to make sure. I misheard. I, wonder, I couldn't tell if you asked him who they beat first or who they played first. No. In 1987. Yes. During a strike year, yep. the Colts, who had acquired Eric Dickerson, were beneficiaries of the fact that there was a strike-shortened year and they had a quarterback in Gary Hogaboom that crossed the picket line and played in the strike games. So the Colts went, I believe it was either 2-1 and one or 3-1, and one, and the AFC e- or, you know, and to win the AFC East, got into the playoffs and went to Cleveland with, uh, and by then Jack Trudeau was quarterbacking them, uh, went to Cleveland and... Played pretty well, actually, and were defeated by the Cleveland Browns, but that was the first playoff game in Colts playoff history. Marty Schottenheimer and the Browns. How about that? It was, I remember, it was It was a day, it looked a lot like this outside in Cleveland. It was just a muddy kind of a slop fest, and the Colts just couldn't get their bearings, couldn't get, but, but it was very surreal because, you know, they had been a sleepy franchise. They were a franchise that came here and, and were not very good, and they had you know, we still didn't feel like an NFL city. And they made that run, and then the next year is when Monday Night Football came, and boom, they were off and running. And that was short-lived, though, because not long after that, of course, they traded away. They got Chris Chandler in 88, who had they had success with. They ended up trading Chandler along with Andre Risen, along with Chris Hinton for Jeff George, and we've had that conversation a billion times. Nothing like having the brilliance of trading your best blocker, your best receiver, and your backup quarterback, it would have been, you know, your veteran quarterback for a quarterback who then had nobody blocking for him and nobody to throw to, and the rest is history. But it is interesting, though, because I I, I was curious, though, with, with Belichick gone and Brady gone, does that in any way, shape, or form – change the mindset about no I mean I think you'll always I think you'll always still have disdain for the Patriots if you grew up during that era if you were raised to hate New England the way that those matchups raised you to be but who's your real villain Robert Kraft now like who, who are you picking fights with in New England to still hold that hostility other than the franchise itself and if it's just the franchise itself that would be enough there's still a lot of bad blood there, but it doesn't hold the same weight because most of the actors are gone now. 
By the way, the Patriots, according to ESPN.com, were able to forego the standard NFL hiring process and immediately hire Mayo yep. because they had established a secession plan and the contract extension he signed last offseason. Wasn't that the same alleged plan that was supposed to be in place for Josh McDaniels? Or was it that McDaniels didn't get that and so therefore he left? I think the latter. Well, I don't know that we know. I mean, it's rhetorical, right? right? Clearly, I, clearly, he didn't think that he was going to be the guy there because he left and then showed himself to be basically a puke like now with three different franchises, which is cool. Good for him, right? Do you think Gerard Mayo's agent just like binge watched some succession and's like, you know what? We don't Beautiful. need something complicated. We just, That's right. we just need something straightforward and clear for your future. I don't know who his agent is, but he must be a good one, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to have that kind of um, you know foresight. All right, so heading into... The playoffs this weekend, something we'll talk about over the course of today. Some good matchups and some uh, matchups, right? One of the better matchups, truth be told, Jimmy, is the one that probably is going to have you the most nervous, right? Yes. I would also argue, though, there's only one, uh, now two. I forgot about Tampa Bay. Okay, two uh, matchups. So that would qualify for a couple. Okay, here are the matchups. Now, when we do this, we're going to do this in the form of one to five stars. All right. Okay. Five star is your Conrad. One is your, I shouldn't say that in disparage a motel, like a lower form motel. Uh, one is your drive up hourly rate motel. Okay. Uh, game one, Green Bay at Dallas. One to five star. Two. Ooh. I think it's better than that, don't you? All right. Three. I would go. I'm not going higher. I'm not going higher than that. I don't know about the Packers. Like they, they were inconsistent at times throughout the but, season. But there, here's the I thing: get it, they're there. There but, are storylines about it that are intriguing. Yeah, Mike McCarthy, Packers. I understand. And I, I think Jordan it. Love is playing at a high level. Yeah. And Dallas has just kind of a stigma to overcome, right? Their stigma to overcome though is in the real money rounds. It's not in wild card weekend. But still, you, you have to get there first, right? And and this is a team. I think that there is some of those years. It's a little bit unfair. In sports, it's a little bit unfair when you say, hey, here's a team that hasn't won a conference championship in 30 years. And it's like, well, or better yet, you know, hey, here's a team that is oh and whatever, like in regional finals and can't get to the final four. And you're like, that's fair, except for how many times were they actually the favored team going into that versus they were a team that had gotten the absolute most out of themselves and finally hit the ceiling of they couldn't beat a you know a number one seed. In the case of Dallas, there are a lot of those years that we look at and they might have been like, you know, getting to the conference championship may have been their ceiling to begin with. This is a team that I think some feel can go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, And but- so for that reason, the pressure starts now and they're going against a guy in Jordan Love that seems to be a totally different quarterback than he was at the beginning of the year. And so there's a lot of question mark of which Jordan Love do you get and is Jordan Love a permanent fixture now? This is a big test as to whether or not Jordan Love has arrived. The re- I agree with that part, but the reason the Cowboys thing is fair, you say it's unfair at times to say making a conference championship game like that's a heavy bar and is that fair or unfair? The reason it's fair is because every year of my existence 
has been, oh, this is the Cowboys year. How about them Cowboys, baby? They're going to make the run. And every year, they find a way to disappoint. It doesn't always happen in the wild card round. Like, I expect them to get out of this round and be in a divisional matchup, but that is why their expectations are where they are, because it's forced upon, and that's the expectation that they want to have out of Jerry's world. Okay, another game that's interesting, I think, and it might be one of the more interesting ones, is the Rams at Detroit. Let me tell you something. The fighting Dr. Motmans of Detroit, the Lions. So Motman, my cardiologist, is is born and raised Michigander. Diehard Lions fan. Okay? And from the time I met him, every other conversation we have, we're talking about one of two things. Either how my heart sucks or the Lions are making his feel that way, Right? The city of Detroit is like, literally, it would be really cool to be at that game because they are so fired up to try to win a playoff game. And then the storyline of the fact that, and I do think that Matt Stafford is liked there. I think Matt Stafford is greatly appreciated and the Lions and their fan base, maybe I'm off base here, Tracy Forner would be able to tell me better, but you know, I think they have some love for Stafford, but... The fact that Matt Stafford goes now to L.A., wins a Super Bowl, and now comes back and has a chance to win a playoff game in Detroit, and of course the Lions being quarterbacked by the guy that took the Rams to the Super Bowl as well, and Jared Goff, I just think it's it's a it's an unbelievable like coincidence, I guess you'd say, but the way things fell, that Detroit and their best shot of the last 30 years to get to a Super Bowl, and the first thing they have to do is overcome the guy that basically requested to be traded from there because there was no chance they were going to get him to a Super Bowl. It's a four-star matchup for everything that you outlined for me. This is a legacy game for a lot of people that are involved, especially Jared Goff, because Matthew Stafford already has the ring. Detroit sent him off because they were under the realization that his time there was capped. They weren't built for him to contend. They needed to speed up their process and they were going to ship him off to L.A., who was going all chips in to go win a Super Bowl, which they did. The Rams have already won that trade because they achieved what they wanted to do, and Stafford has still looked sharp at times, even as the Rams have kind of regressed around him post that Super Bowl win over Cincinnati. For Detroit, you mentioned it. Jake, I'm not trying to make you or some of the listening audience feel old. The last time the Lions won a playoff game, Eddie and I weren't on this planet. 1991 is the last time that Detroit celebrated that sweet, sweet taste of a playoff victory. And I want Detroit to win this game. I think they will win this game. But because of all the stakes that are there, those storylines, the quarterback matchup itself, and the idea that you're going to get a good Dan Campbell press conference, either way this game goes, makes it a four-star game for me. All right, we'll continue the conversation. We'll also take a look, by the way, at the Pacers getting ready to hit the road. But we'll look at the AFC and one, the, the absolute king of the dreaded sound effect matchup in the NFC and and somebody on the northeast side playing hero today somebody on the northeast side playing hero today that we're going to give a shout out to and we're going to do it in just a couple minutes here it's query company on a friday 93.5 the fan so it is supposed to be bitter cold this weekend right and I don't think that we have a ton of snow forecasted because the precipitation is supposed to be today, and thankfully it's going to be warmer than that would entail. But huge shout-out. You hear us talking about it, by the way, on the radio. 
How about love, heating, and air? Love-HVAC.com. Uh, Shannon's Furnace, which is like uh, as old as I am, on the kaput. She was freaking out. Thermostat was dropping. Called Love Heating and Air. 24-hour on-call maintenance. Went out. <laughs> taken care of. Back to warmth, baby. So we'll be watching the playoffs this weekend in the comfort of a room temperature house. Uh, but that's what you get from Love Heating and Air, right? 24-hour on-call maintenance for all of their customers. Love-HVAC.com. Thank you so much for taking care of the house uh, for Shannon and making sure that we are good to go and Joe and Kobe notably are comfortable. But for all of you, um, they're going to treat you the exact same way. So that's what you get from Love Heating and Air. Appreciate their getting out there and getting that taken care of. Okay, NFC, uh, the biggest – and by the way, before we get to that, let me ask you this. Is it just me? I'm going to ask a rhetorical question for our listening audience. When you think about elementary school, doesn't it seem like, and I think this is actually a, a fascinating phenomenon that happens to people psychologically. When you're a kid, you want snow. You crave snow. You love it because you want days off school. You want to go sledding. You want to build forts. You want to build snowmen. You want to have snowball fights. You want to, all that, right? And so those are memories that jump out at you so much. It feels like, for mo- and I'm curious if I'm the only one that feels this way. No matter what your age is, unless you're a young person right now, To me, it seems like we had far more like snow accumulation days in 19, from 1978 to 1990 than we have in the last 12 years. And no, I'm not getting into some global warming thing. I'm not saying that. But I think it's because there would be no reason for me to have standout memories of other winter events of my childhood but I do remember the days of the excitement of a snow day and back in the old days hearing your school named on WIBC or seeing it on the lower ticker on during Good Morning America and rejoicing that in fact school was out for the day and then spending the entire day in the yard with your siblings and the neighborhood kids doing stuff I can be an old man about that kind of now too because I also got the lower ticker on the television, and now for a lot of people, it's a tweet, it's a notification. Totally. totally. Those I mean, days it was of huge... sitting by the TV, fingers crossed. Oh man, it was such a big deal, like to 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 hear it on, you know, like in little chicken preschool. By the way, I the sky was always falling for those people. They got off like literally one snowflake. And they were it was <laughs> unbelievable. But um, it does seem like it that we had far more snow. In my childhood, but I think that everybody thinks that because you would co- you have immediate memory recall of, and it was probably like two snowstorms per winter, but they jump out and they you remember them vividly. Whereas I couldn't tell you last year whether we did, had one or two because it doesn't, it, it's not life altering like it is now. Now I realize that with COVID and I, you know, it's a totally different world now with school closings and online. I, I, I get it. When's the last time you made a snow angel? My mom 
was the queen of my mom. I remember as a kid being in the car with my mom and it was snowing and my mom was like, we have to do it. And she pulled over like on the side of like, I mean, it was a slow road. We lived in Shelbyville. So like there was nobody around. She pulled over like in like the country road and got out and, so that we could do snow angels. It's awesome. Loved them. Uh, but it's been a while. Probably. When's the last time you did one? Probably high school. I mean, they're pretty cool, right? Oh, yeah. Just in general, like, okay, when's the last time you went sledding? Oh, man. Definitely, just, definitely like maybe freshman year of high school. Maybe I mean, doesn't it feel high? like it's been forever since we've had a story? And I know we haven't. I, I realize that, like, I'm, but I just think that it's a natural thing to automatically feel like in your childhood. Well, back when I was a kid, we had way more of those. It's not that. It's just you remember it more because, you, you know, you. Also, I avoid it now. now. Like, I'm not going out there. It'd be different. Like, if it, I don't have kids. Like, if I had kids, then you want like, oh, hey, let's have a snow day. I'm not. I see it. I'm sheltering in place. I'm not going out there to go sled down a hill up the road. When I was in the eighth grade, this I look back on this now. And I'm like, this is crazy. When I was in the eighth grade, we had a teacher in service day in January where a youth group that I was a part of that was connected to the school. We took an annual trip to Swiss Valley to go snow skiing in Michigan. Okay. So we all met at the marsh at 62nd and Keystone RIP. It's now a big lots got on like Greyhound buses and took off. We got to like around South Bend and they're like, kids, we, we are so sorry, but it, the weather up here is so bad. We've got to turn around and go back. We can't go. No trip. So we turned around, drove all the way back to the marsh at 62nd and Allisonville, RIP. It's now big lots. And it was like now like 1130 in the morning. And they're like, okay, kids, everybody have a quarter to call your parents. And they just dropped us off and left. Now, our parents all thought they were picking us up at the marsh at 62nd and Allisonville. RIP, it's now Big Lots. At like 8.30 at night or 9 o'clock or whatever. So literally, we're like, oh my gosh. They just turned us loose for nine hours? To clarify, they left before the parents arrived? Yes. Or they like waited the- and they hung around until parents arrived? No, the bus dropped us <laughs> off and then said like, now does everybody have a way to get a hold of your parents? And we're like, yeah. There's like 40 of us in this parking lot. <laughs> And the and the chaperones and the buses left. I kid you not. I'm what a not, time. I'm not lying. What a time. And we're like, we have nine hours to do nothing but throw snowballs at cars and do whatever we want. The bus driver would be in jail today. We, we literally looked like DiCaprio in that movie where he's wrestling bears like in the snow. The, Reve- I mean, the Revenant? Yeah, The Revenant. We, we were all like The Revenant. We just wa- And so literally, I th- we were like, this is the greatest thing ever. And then literally by 1.30, we walked to Kelly Mallon's house and we're like, can we use your phone and call our parents? <laughs> Because it was we were cold and bored and whatever else, but at any rate, it does feel like that took place way more when I was a kid. Um, the Eagles and Bucks. Is anybody going to watch this game? I mean, it's the Monday eight o'clock. I mean Monday night football for crying out loud. Admittedly, right? yes, I will because of where it's placed because of the addiction of America, myself <laughs> included, of playoff football, football in general. Yes, I will watch this game. Two stars. Two stars. Two stars. What do you consider a one-star game if uh, Philly Buffalo and, Tam- and Pittsburgh? Buffalo and Pittsburgh's one-star what? game. Bills are going to roll them. That will not. I mean, it'll be fun if you like offense, but it's not going to be a game. It's not going to be a good game. That could be a good game. Eddie, will you help me out here? Philadelphia has played bad enough this year where that could be a good game. That's why I give it a higher star rating than Buffalo-Pittsburgh because the Bills should roll 
Pittsburgh. They are an extra bye week for whoever plays the Steelers. I tend to side with Jimmy here. You would you have but. more interest in Bills Steelers, which should be a blowout, than you do Eagles Buccaneers. Yes, because Josh Allen and the Bills offense is fun to watch. Number one, right? It's in Buffalo, which is like football Americana. There's the possibility of like Jake. I'll send you videos of people and, jumping into tables if you want that. Okay, I could do that for you still. But I'm saying I agree with Jake here. By the way, you like, just pivoted. I no, thought you agreed no, with no, me. No, no, I say I tend to Buffalo. Okay, oh, hear me out. Okay. Hear me out. But hear me out. All right. When you think playoff football, there's something about. Here's one thing where Indianapolis, as wonderful as it is that we have the Colts, I'm going to lose this argument. No, no, Raymond James as, Stadium as and fabulous ships, as it is, that's what I think of as fabulous it is as it is to have, and I love it. I mean, the the, the comfort of indoor football. Don't get me wrong. Real men watch outdoor but football. Deep down, Jake. deep down. People listening to my voice right now. In both places of them, they don't talk about at parties. Both of them, correct. Yep. Deep down, people don't want to in the Circle City admit this. Whether you are somebody from the southwest side of town, Mooresville, Decatur Township, whether you are from Pike Township, whether you're from Carmel, whether you're from Greenfield, no matter where you are in the greater Indianapolis metropolitan area, even though we love, as do I, and I don't like cold weather and I hate the cold. And I was mentioning yesterday, if it's 30 below, no way I'm going to a game. But deep down, we have kind of an envy and an appreciation for Lambeau and Buffalo and Cleveland. And Arrowhead. And part of hardcore, deep down, rust belt, gray-skied, smoke-from-the-smokestack-level, grinded-out, traditional, old-school, Jack Youngblood, Jack Lambert, like tough-guy football. Jack Youngblood, I realize, in L.A., but but tough-guy football. When we think of that, we envy the fact that people sat with their little thermos and their little red plaid blanket all bundled up with snow flurries flying around. That's (laughs) December, January, tough guy playoff football yeah and for that reason there's a sexiness and an appeal about the lunch pail nature of the pittsburgh steelers and the buffalo bills where you can sit in the comfort of your cold home in the winter time with a fire going and watch that football like the way it was meant to be in the 60s and the 70s there's a level of nostalgia about that and then you throw in the storyline of the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and Buffalo getting off to a slow start now and trying to redeem themselves. And we left, we wrote them for dead. What did we say about the Bills when they lost a game with like five games to go? We're like, their schedule is brutal. Now, the question becomes does that catapult them into the postseason now where they can get going and they're rolling? Or did they essentially wear themselves out just to get to this point and Pittsburgh, who was hanging by tooth and nail, who offers nothing sexy whatsoever but the tradition of 50 years ago, does Pittsburgh go in and take advantage and before our very eyes evaporate the Buffalo Rust Belt dream that then waits another year? That to me is far more exciting than finding out whether or not the recently championed Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts 
can get the things righted and get the ship going in the right direction to go in front of 80-degree fans in a pirate ship Woo! and Baker Mayfield and his fourth different franchise in the last five years or whatever it might be trying to win on Monday Night Football. But it warms your heart, the idea of that fourth or fifth franchise or whatever it might be for Baker Mayfield to potentially pull the upset to send the Super Bowl champions home. Additionally, though... The only point I will concede is, yes, Orchard Park is a little bit more sexy for playoff football than Raymond James Stadium. That said, to answer your question of what if Pittsburgh pulls off the unthinkable, they won't. They should lose this game by three scores. But if they do, Sean McDermott does not get to come back on the plane. You said Xavier Johnson didn't get to come back from New Jersey. Well, Sean McDermott's already home in Buffalo. He's not getting back into the coach's lounge. That room is locked if they somehow bottle this matchup against Pittsburgh. Which is why it's intriguing. But it should be over by the first quarter. Thank you for making my point. It should be over by the first quarter. Uh, Cleveland and Houston, that's actually, I I think, interesting because I think Cleveland could win the AFC. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's the the question is, can that defense interrupt C.J. Stroud? And then Miami and Kansas City, which is a great matchup because it's high-flying, it's sexy, it's fun, and it's also only on Peacock. They peacocked us. Yep. That is correct. They did exactly that. By the way, we should ask Matt this exact question, right? Matt Berderam, senior writer, SI, going to join us uh, just under 15 minutes from now. And maybe we'll ask him which is the more intriguing matchup, Pittsburgh-Buffalo or Philly-Tampa. He's probably going to side with you, and then that'll suck. Pacers in action tonight, right, Eddie? That would be correct. 8 o'clock is the tip, 7.30 pregame. And then on the road, they're gone for 12 days. Yeah. That's kind of a... Jimmy, we talked about this when it came to the Washington Wizards. It's kind of a trap game. Pacers are playing well, but like when you think about that West Coast trip, you almost... You find yourself forgetting about the fact that they've still got to go to Atlanta, play tonight, and then they go to Denver and play, right? Rare thought on that. Trap game loses its value when it's a game that you have to have. And when I say it's one they have to have, I'm not excited about their prospects out West, like many are, without Tyrese Halliburton. I think there's a lot of tough matchups. Eddie gave us a number that's dated now because they've already started this journey post-January 1 of whatever 16 different playoff teams that they were going to be facing along this gauntlet of a stretch. But you go... Look at this list on the road against Denver, against Atlanta tonight, then Denver, Utah, Sacramento, Portland, Phoenix. Then you're back home. Atlanta's one of those where you would circle and hope to pencil in a W. You can't afford to start this road trip off in such a way that you're having to climb and gain ground back with yourself. Like I said, two and four, that's a bad look, but it's understandable without Tyrese Halliburton. Three or three or better on this road trip, I'm perfectly fine. Man, that would be, I mean, three and three would be big, right? Yes. You know, right now, tied with Cleveland, four seed in the East. It is kind of weird that the division, I mean, I remember when the divisions were a big deal. Yeah, I was talking about right? that. With I was pointing to the, the last Pacers banner of division title, which would have been 13-14, and obviously it's up at Gamebridge, and I was talking with a friend of mine who were at that Pacers-Celtics game the other night, and... The clarification on that was that they just don't matter in the NBA. Totally. Like most teams, it's there's no home court advantage tied with it anymore. It hasn't been for quite some time. It's just a 
another box to check in terms of where you're at versus the NFL. You secure that division. It's a home playoff game for you. I couldn't even. Okay. I'll bet I can pick three teams. Eddie Garrison runs the board. He's the, the are you executive producer for the Pacers radio network, Eddie? Just the producer. You're the lone producer though, right? Correct. So you're the producer of whatever title you want, right? As I guess that's you're true. You're the senior okay. lead producer for Pacers. There we go. I'll bet I can name three teams in the NBA right now off the top of my head without you guys looking and you would have to stop to think about what their division they're which division they're in. You ready? Ooh. You re- you up for the challenge, Eddie? Sure. Utah Jazz. Mm, man. Pacific? Jimmy? I forget all the names of the divisions. I know it's Atlantic, Central, Pacific. Western Conference is Pacific, Northwest, and North... Er, yeah, Pacific, Northwest, Southwest. That's the Western Conference. Okay, I don't I know would- if you know this or not. Now, this is weird. In the Southwest Conference, uh, festival seating. And you have to get the <laughs> early bird special if you want good seats. Okay, Northwest Pacific and Southwest is correct in the Western Conference, and the Utah Jazz are members of the Northwest Division. Okay. Um, all right, here we go. The Charlotte Hornets. In the East, it's Atlantic, Central, Southeast, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. Southeast. Eddie, your guess? Mm, they're not in the Central. I'll go with Jimmy. They are in the Southeast. That's correct. Now I think I can play this game well. Now that I know the names, I think I can do it. Think so? Yes. Give me one more time in the West. Memphis Grizzlies. Get one more time in the West. It's Pacific. Southwest. Northwest. Memphis Grizzlies. I'm going to say Southwest. Ding, ding, ding. That's correct. I don't know if you know this or not. The bags are free in Memphis. They are indeed. They all fly. Southwest Division is correct. Uh, Matt Verderam, by the way, going to join us to talk a little NFL next. You just heard John talking about it, and he is correct. That conversation yesterday with Rick Venturi, pretty awesome. Um, just in terms of a pretty candid, raw, transparent dissection of the Colts NFL season that has come to a close as Indianapolis now Sits and watches Super Wild Card Weekend getting underway. Now, how's it Super Wild Card different than the Wild Card? It's like Wild Card plus extra Wild Card, right? It's like it's like asking how Mario Brothers is different than Super Mario. That's World, right. Jake. Come on. Uh, Matt Verderam is an NFL writer for Sports Illustrated at SI Now is their Twitter account. He is at Mer- uh, Matt Verderam. That's M A T T V E R D E R A M E, and he joins us now on the program. Matt, I'm going to begin with a kind of an elementary question i guess in in the nba there's always talk about how the playoffs like the level of play intensifies hockey as well because defensively teams i think really clamp down and you get less of a free-flowing style football's a little bit different i guess the question would be is playoff football any different in terms of like schematically what teams want to do or try to do, or is it pretty straightforward from what we saw through 17 games? Yeah, you know, I think I think it's a misnomer that, you know, the game's faster, so to speak. I mean, look, guys aren't running 20% faster in the playoffs. But I think what is different, especially for the upper echelon teams, maybe the top six, seven, eight teams in the league, you've held back plays all year long that you've worked on that you've waited for, that you've 
purposely sat on knowing, hey, we're going to be in the playoffs. And when we get there, we're going to have these 30, 40 plays that nobody's seen, that are unscouted looks, that we're going to unleash on third down, in the red zone, in the opening script. I think that's the difference. You know, you look at teams, you know, like like Baltimore, like Kansas City, uh, like, you know, like Dallas even, that down the stretch, last four or five weeks, you know you're making the playoffs. Now, Dallas at the win the divisions are a little bit different. But some of these teams that have, you know, San Francisco is a perfect example. Teams that had the luxury of just saying, hey, we're going to be there. We're not going to run out our absolute best stuff, especially against other really good teams that they thought they might see in the playoffs. I think that is a real thing and could pay huge dividends for those teams come this weekend and, and forward. Okay, can you settle, Matt, a debate that Jimmy and I've had? And I'm not going to tell you which way I'm leaning on it because, I mean, clearly you would probably want to side with me in this regard, right? But just as the cooler oh, sure. of the two. But um, which game to you, if you were to rank the sexiness of the NFL playoff games opening weekend, which game has a bigger uh, factor of just like this does not intrigue or wet my whistle at all? Philly and Tampa or Pittsburgh and Buffalo? Philly and Tampa. That's the Does bigger uh, game, right? Does nothing for me. No. I I mean, Tampa's <laughs> 9 and 8 in a division where they played nobody and then also played in AFC South, which actually is not bad, as, as you guys know. The AFC South is very few thought. But, like, you know, you, you're playing, you know, if you're Tampa, you played a really beat up Jacksonville team. You played, you played a Titans team that's not good. Like I, I mean, Tampa to me is just very underwhelming. And then Philly, I I was at the Eagles Chiefs game for Sports Illustrated. I covered it, and I I remember walking out of that stadium and thinking, man, Philadelphia, whatever they were, it's like nine and one. You know, like man, they like this might be a Super Bowl preview or you know Super Bowl rematch uh, part three or however you want to look at it. They they've fallen apart. I mean, they're to the point now. You look at them and just go, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, I, maybe they win against Tampa because somebody's got to win that game, but that's about it. Whereas Pittsburgh and Buffalo, that would have been my answer until we found out that the game was being played in Antarctica conditions. Hmm. Now all of a sudden that game is hmm. more interesting to me. So I, hmm. I would have I would have gone that way initially, but the weather changed it for me. Okay, I'm so willing Matt, to wear the L, but I have one. I just want to appeal, even though I know I've been defeated. I'm not going to change Matt's mind. But, I'd like to know Matt's favorite beer because that's exactly what I'm going to sit down and have with him to toast <laughs> for the fact that he sided with me on this. Does does the thought that I viewed Pittsburgh this entire cycle as an auto buy, not the same way that I viewed Tampa Bay, change anything about that matchup? In other words, that would be a game where if you're a Bills fan, you would ideally look at it and say, yeah, we'll win this thing by three scores. I think the Bills, in a perfect world, like, let's put it this way. A week ago, when, those, when the matchup first came out, we didn't see the weather report. My immediate thought was, the Bills are going to win this game 31-3. to Then the weather report came out. And I went to, look, I'm from New York. I went to school not far from Buffalo. I went to school where my dorm hall was, you could throw a football and hit Lake Ontario. Okay? I am extremely aware of what lake effect snow and wind is. And for anyone who's not aware of it, it is brutal. I mean, it is like, it is. let's put it this way, and people can fact check me, they can look this up. My freshman year, 2007, well, second semester is 2007, 10 feet of snow in three days. I mean, it is, it is ungodly. 
And when you're talking about wind sustained 30 to 35 mile an hour, gusts up to 65, like Josh Allen becomes a moot point throwing the football. That, that to me, everybody's talking about the weather in Kansas City, and I'm going to be there tomorrow. I'm going to drive out there, and it's going to be brutal. But, like, the wind's not supposed to be that bad. It's mostly just going to be really, really cold. If I'm a quarterback, I'd much rather play in that than playing 20-degree weather that the wind could be 60 miles an hour. You Matt, to me, the the real intriguing thing about Buffalo, and this is true probably of, you know, there are other teams that you could look at but in any sport, but Buffalo, what, what Buffalo did, and yes, they kind of put themselves in this position, I realize, but the last five weeks of the season, the gauntlet that Buffalo had to go through and weather through, pardon the pun, to get to the playoffs – was to me so impressive that the thing that's intriguing about Pittsburgh or whoever they put, I don't care if they're playing Carolina in the opening round. I'm curious to see if they're able to maintain the foot on the accelerator or if that alone took enough out of them. You know, I want it because I think people, Buffalo's that team that people are like, do not let them in because it reminds me of the St. Louis Cardinals in baseball. Like, you just don't want them in because then they never go away. And I'm very curious to see how they respond to what it took in order to get to this spot. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, look, but my, my argument would actually be this with the Bills. They barely beat Easton Stick and Bailey Zappi, who had four turnovers and a half of football in Buffalo. They needed a 96-yard punt return to put away a Dolphins team that both last week and this week basically playing at half strength. They needed Kadarius Tony to step into the neutral zone to beat them. Now, look, that's a good win. I, I get it. Even with Tony's issue, like, you go to Kansas City, you win. It's a great win. The Bills have been bizarre all year long, which kind of speaks to, could the Bills, even with the weather, blow Pittsburgh out 100%? But would anybody sitting here be surprised if that game 17-17 is a two-minute warning? I mean, that's kind of who the right. Bills have been. Frankly, it's kind of who – Kansas City, to some degree, has been this year with all self-inflicted mistakes, which is why I think if the Chiefs and the Bills win, they're going to play each other in the divisional round. That game would be fascinating. Because you could tell me any outcome, I'd believe it. Either one of them winning by 20 points, either one of them losing by 20 points. It's just, but the Bills specifically, and Allen specifically, there's just so up and down, you never know what you're getting. NFL staff writer for Sports Illustrated, Matt Verderam, is our guest. Matt, I've seen you on Twitter, that you know I'm a Chiefs fan, so I'm not just appealing to that matchup, but I know, as you've said multiple times already during our conversation, you're a cold-weather guy. You love the cold. Yeah. We joked at the top of our show that Colts fans secretly want to be cold-weather guy, but they have an indoor st- retractable roof, but an indoor stadium where they don't have to ever worry about the elements. <laughs> this yeah. is your opportunity to sell it to Indianapolis why cold-weather games are actually great. Oh, because this is how football is meant to be played. I'll argue this to the death with anybody. I don't want to watch a playoff game in 85-degree weather. I don't. Now, I'm from New York. Maybe that's part of it. I grew up playing hockey my whole life. It was not uncommon to play outdoors if it was five degrees. You put a hat on. Fine. Like, I mean, it, it, to me, that's what's so fun about this. I'm getting to Arrowhead Stadium with the game kick 7.15 Central time. I'm going to get there at about 4 o'clock. And... I'm just going to walk around the parking lot and talk to people and hang out for the first hour, hour and a half before I go into the stadium. Like I, I really, I'm going to embrace it. And look, it's cold. It's really cold. I'm not trying to downplay it, but 
I think that's part of the, the magic of this. Like, like, who, like, where would you rather watch a playoff game? Lambeau Field or Mile High or, or Arrowhead or down in Miami? I, I, I said, no Matt, were you listening to the first hour of the show? Because I swear that's exactly, <laughs> I mean, that's, a, you are a one, I said, in Indianapolis, Colts fans listening don't want to admit it deep down, Matt. But as much as it – and it is super convenient and nice to be able to park your car and walk inside when it's 10 degrees outside. But but I think there is an envy, and part of the magic and the lure of playoff football is snow flurries and cold temperatures and, like, bundling up by the fire watching on television a bunch of people sitting outside in rust belt ugly weather, right? That's, that's the whole beauty of it. A thousand percent. I think the person who decided that the Vikings – we're going to move indoors. That person should be put in prison. <laughs> like that, th- to move that team from the Met when they had Bud Grant in the 70s, freezing, hey, we're going to move indoors. Why? Why? You're giving away a huge advantage. Like, I, like for me, look, Buffalo and Pittsburgh is one thing. They're both cold-weather teams. And the, the wind is the great equalizer because it's just hard to throw in it. If you're Kansas City, if you're the Chiefs, you want that game. You hope it's negative 10. I mean, you don't – what do you care? You know, you got heated benches. You got, you know, I always love when people are like, it's dangerous for the players. No, it's not. They have heated benches that are like sitting on hey, ovens. Matt, you know, the other fun. side of that, though, uh, the other side of that that I always laugh at is when people are like, this is a huge advantage for Green Bay versus Miami, which in, in theory, you're right, because they're practicing it all week. But then I think about it and I'm like, 90% of Green Bay's rosters from like Florida. <laughs> Clemson right. and Florida State, right? You know what I mean? So, you know, it all balances out. It does. The only thing I think that it is a real advantage is when you're one of those teams that you, you like, for an example, Buffalo's week has practiced indoors all week. The Chiefs have been outdoors all week long. Like, I think that does to some degree. I think, you know, Chip, I'd put it this way. I think it's more of a mental advantage because you're told all week this, this benefits you, this benefits you, this benefits you. And if you're Miami, all you've heard all week, I mean, I, I've followed multiple beat reports that have been talking about should they move the game, should they change the time. The game. I think it's so in your head. Like By the time you get there, you're just thinking about it so much. Whereas if you're the home team in that scenario, you're like, this is, this is good. We were told this is an advantage. I think it's more mental. Now, in the, in the Chiefs-Dolphins game, I also do think there's a little bit of Tua is more of a guy who's going to float the ball, try to place it a little bit more. I think it's a lot harder to do in a game like this. The Mahomes is just going to just throw rifle shots all over the field. Uh, might be harder on his receivers who can't catch to begin with. Uh, but I, I think it probably benefits the way he plays a little bit more than the way Tua does. Matt Verderim is our guest from SI, NFL staff writer. Matt, let's say, for example, that Chris Ballard calls you and says that he wants to put you on staff as a consultant for the Indianapolis Colts. In that capacity, you would tell him that the things that the Colts most need to work on and or improve for the offseason are what? Give me their checklist. First of all, I would tell you that if Chris Ballard does that, he should probably be fired. Um, Secondly, uh, because if he wants my opinion, it's not good. Secondly, I would say, look, you got to keep Michael Pittman. Like, I don't care if you got to tag him, sign him, you you have to retain him. Um, You know, we're putting out a list for a top 50 free agents. He's certainly in the top 10. Number two, I think you got to add somebody on the other side of him. Like Alec Pierce is fine, but Alec Pierce probably is in a, is in the top two, number two. I like Josh Downs a lot. I think Downs might be that number two guy, but 
I think you, you want to surround Anthony Richardson on his cheat deal as much as you possibly can with talent. So I would try not only retain Pittman, but add a guy. And then defensively, look, I I love the way their defensive front played. Got a lot of sacks. Um, I want to see them add a guy in the secondary who's a difference maker. I want to see them go out and find a corner, who whether it's a first-round pick, whether it's a veteran guy, like somebody who can go in there and play at a really high, like somebody who's a Pro Bowl caliber player. Because I think, you know, in that scheme, in that system, you need to have corners – you know, obviously a lot of zone, but you got to have some guys who can really change the picture for the opposing quarterback. So I'd like to see the, the Colts improve on the perimeter on both sides of the ball as much as possible. Matt, I know this is somewhat of a tough question since you don't cover the team regularly, but this will be year eight for Chris Ballard. And my argument kind of against him has been, yes, there's been some unforeseen circumstances that maybe have built-in excuses, the amount of quarterbacks that they've had, maybe the situation sure. there. But he hasn't done a ton, in my mind, to show a track record of being able to supply a ton of weapons. Michael Pittman Jr. is definitely one, and Josh Downs looks like he might be. But prior to last yep. offseason, there hasn't been a ton of body of work with that. If we're at year eight, but it's year two for Steichen, and basically de facto year one for Richardson, what is a fair like hot seat timeline for Chris Ballard, given all that's happened the last eight years with this franchise? I think it's fair to sit here and say, look, they've got to get results now. I mean, this was a team that I remember early in the year. I thought Indianapolis might have the worst record in the AFC, not because I didn't like the future, but I thought, hey, look, Richardson's a first-year guy. He's raw. I, I love the hire of Shane Steichen the second they made it. And I remember covering the Colts as part of my training camp tour and being impressed by them. But you just kind of feel like, hey, it might be down the road. Now, they, they superseded, I think, just about everybody's expectations. And now that you go into this offseason, they got a ton of cash space. Like, there's no reason, and that probably truthfully is the biggest issue I've had with Ballard. They've had off-seasons where they've had major money available to them, and they've sat on the money. At some point here, you've got to be willing to say, look, this division is fairly wide open. Tennessee is now probably going through a little bit of a rebuild. Nobody knows what's going on with Jacksonville after that collapse. Houston is the team with Stroud that you look at and go, okay, but maybe Richardson is your version of Stroud. You don't know yet. Like, if I'm the Colts, I don't want to be sitting there at the end of the next offseason going, yeah, we got $25 million in cap space to roll over. I don't want money to roll over. Like, go out and acquire some guys who are difference makers. I think sometimes teams make the mistake. They'll sign eight mid- middling-type guys, some guys who have you know, upside, one-year deals with incentives, and they feel like they've improved. There's a reason those guys are available for those deals. Go out and sign three guys who really matter, who make a big difference. And I, and I want to see Ballard do that. I feel like in the past, he's been hesitant. He's made trades like that, like Buckner. But in free agency, it feels like a lot of times he hasn't made the big move, rather made a bunch of smaller deals. Matt, if you were a guy with a lot of money to spend, you had just mentioned on SI, Matt Verderam, our guest, that you guys are listing the top 50 available free agents. If you were a GM with a lot of cap space or a lot of money in free agency to play with, you would want to be one that's looking for a player at what position? In other words, this particular free agency class is right. really rich where, and it's really void of talent where? Well, I would say receiver. Uh, as far as where I'd want to have to find a guy, which benefits Indianapolis. Look, I mean, you could, you could talk about a variety of different types of players, right? T. Higgins is, is potentially going to be available. Pittman, of course, we've talked about. Uh, Gabe Davis is going to be out there. Darnell Mooney is going to be there. Hollywood Brown's going to be there. 
Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are not free agents technically, but one, if not both, they're going to be gone from L.A. because they're in a cap crunch. Both those guys are cap hits over $30 million. One of them at least is going to be on the move. Jerry Judy. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And on. There's a million guys. Like Calvin Ridley. So wide receiver is really deep. Now, you know, as usual, quarterback is not deep at all. I mean, Cousins and Mayfield are the, are the big names, but I don't think either one of them is going to get out of their buildings. Um, you know, I think if, if you're trying to find – uh, a big-time pass rusher, you're probably looking at the interior in this class. When, I mean, Brian Burns is, is the, the big headliner name. But then there's like Chris Jones, Christian Wilkins. Um, those guys are guys you look at. I don't know that it's a great edge class. I mean, it's, it's a class you look at and go, okay, it's Javon Clowney, probably a one-year deal guy. Josh Uche, maybe a one-year deal guy. Burns is the big prize there. I don't know that there's a ton of of great edge rushers that you look at and go, that's where I, I, I'm going to find my guy. You might wait until the draft for that. Matt Verderam of NFL coverage for SI joins us. Matt, when you look at the playoff bracket as a whole, we talked a little bit on Philly. They're, of course, a Super Bowl participant a year ago. Looking at Kansas City, is there enough that you've seen from them over the totality of the season to think that their receivers are suddenly going to learn how to catch the football and maybe they can make a deep run or will it ultimately be they were just a tick off all year? Oh, I don't think the receivers are all of a sudden going to learn how to catch. I mean, if they if they go to the Super Bowl, it's going to be because of Kelsey, Pacheco, Rice, and, and Mahomes plus that defense. I mean, that look, their defense is second in the NFL. They're fantastic. Like that's the ticket. If they're going to go to the Super Bowl, it's going to be because they're lights out defensively, and you get three or four just god mode plays out of Mahomes, which is certainly possible. I I put it with, like this with the Chiefs. You can't rule them out because they're just the kind of team, like, they could win any game they're in. They're always involved. They very, very, very rarely get blown out. You know, they're always a drive away. And if you have Mahomes in January with the ball in five minutes and you're down a score, like, you feel all right about it. On the flip side, would I pick them? No, I wouldn't pick them. I think Baltimore has got to be the pick in the AFC right now. But it is an interesting dynamic. Baltimore and Buffalo, are there any two teams – under more pressure to win in the playoffs this year? I mean, you could maybe say Dallas. The Niners certainly have some as well. But, like, Baltimore's had multiple postseason failures. Buffalo is facing a cap crunch ahead. They're getting older. Like, this team, as it currently sits, this is it. Like, they're going to have to really remake part of the team after this, after this year. And they've had their, their catastrophic moments in the postseason. The Chiefs do have the benefit in the AFC of being like, well, what pressure do we have? I mean, we've got three of the last four Super Bowls, won two of them. So I think they could do it. I wouldn't pick them, but I also wouldn't sit there and say they don't have a shot. They definitely have a shot. Hey, Matt, of the coaching, I think there are now, if my quick math, six coaching, six openings, is that right? Or are there seven now? Because New England is filled, right? I believe it's at least a quarter of the league. Oh, yeah, that's right, because Mayo got hired. Yeah, I think it's either seven or eight, if I'm okay. correct. Um, which one do you find – let's say two. Give me the two coaching jobs in the NFL right now open that are probably the most desirable, and the second half of that would be the one that is most likely to be filled by Bill Belichick. So the ones that are most desirable – I, I can't believe I'm saying this based off the last 25 years, but Washington. Washington's a really desirable spot. Like, they just brought in Peters to be the GM from the Niners. That's a home run hire. That is new ownership. That is ownership in Harris, who, has, who he runs the Devils in the NHL. He runs the Sixers in the NBA. He has spent a fortune with both teams, and both teams have gone from complete afterthoughts to playoff contenders every year. 
So I, I think if you're looking at being a coach there, that's that's a good spot. Like they, they've got the second overall pick. You can get a quarterback. So that's one. The other one, you could sit there and argue about it. I like Seattle. I still think Seattle, that's a, that's a good culture. John Schneider is an excellent GM. I think you have some, some players on that roster. You've had a couple of really good draft classes recently. I like Seattle. I, I think that was left in a really good spot. You might say, hey, look, you got to find the quarterback. And you do. That's okay. I get that. Not easy, but possible. That, those are the two I like the most. As for Belichick, look, you've heard a lot of smoke about maybe going to Atlanta. I get it in the sense the roster is good. The problem is you have no quarterback. And I, I just, if you're Belichick, like, you're not going to sit there and wait three, four years to make it happen. I mean, you're, you're 72 years old. Like, you got to do it now. I wonder with Belichick, if the Cowboys or the Eagles, if they lose this weekend, do one of those jobs open up? And I think the Dallas one's more likely to do so. Like, if they lose to Green Bay, does Jones just say, enough of this, fires McCarthy and calls up Belichick and says, how much do you want? you got a blank check. What do you want to do? Because if I'm Belichick, that's the kind of situation I want, where I can go somewhere. I got the quarterback, I got a roster. Hey, give me three shots at the apple here. Yeah, he didn't want to rebuild, right? I mean, at his age. No. Yeah. I mean, and, and if you're Belichick, look, don't let it fool you for a second. He watched Brady go and win a Super Bowl without him. You don't think he wants to win a Super Bowl without Brady? I mean, because the narrative now is always, well, what can he do without Brady? He goes to Dallas. That team's immediately, if not the favorite to win the Super Bowl, top three. So I am watching those NFC East games very closely for that reason. Matt Verderam of SI joins us. Matt, you tweeted this, or a reaction to it, rather, just before we went on with you. Maybe the Ravens were your pick. I don't know who your Super Bowl pick is directly, so I guess, A, who is that? And B... How much is that impacted slash how much is the playoff landscape impacted with Mark Andrews being designated for return from IR for the Baltimore Ravens? Yeah, I, I was surprised. I mean, you, you heard that that might be possible. Um, my guess is he's probably still a few weeks away. Uh, maybe come back for the AFC title game. But that's – look, it, it certainly doesn't hurt. Um, does it make it, like, massively different for me? No, because I think in, in the NFL, unless it's a quarterback, like – you're not talking about a player who's going to shift the line by a touchdown or something, but he certainly helps. He's a great player. He is by far their best red zone threat. So I think he gives them a lot of punch. It just gives you a shot in the arm, gives you a lift. As far as my Super Bowl pick, I think for me, it's got to be San Francisco. I know the Baltimore waxed them. I get it. But if you're talking about probability, the Niners to me are far more likely to come out of the NFC than anybody is to come out of the AFC. I could make a case for Baltimore, Buffalo, Kansas City. Uh, who are you making the case for other than the Niners in the NFC? The Rams? If they get, I mean, they've won seven of eight. Maybe, that, but like, I don't trust Dallas enough. I certainly don't trust Philly. So I'll, I'll take the Niners. Matt, it's going to be Cleveland and Detroit, and tickets are going to be fifty thousand apiece. <laughs> That's what's that going to happen. That would be incredible. <laughs> Cleveland and Detroit and Las Vegas. That would be I'm, unreal, wouldn't it? I'm here. For, I'm here. For, that would be, I mean, Joe Flacco and Jared Goff. Yeah, sign me up. Sure, why not? Okay, lastly, where did you go to college where you got 10 feet of snow? I'm going to guess here. You said you went to college. We might have done this before, but you went to college in the state of New York. Is that right? Don't tell me the school. I did. I did. Did yeah. you go to a public university? Yes. I'm going to go with uh, SUNY Geneseo. Nope. Well, uh, I did not go there. I went to SUNY Oswego. So, I, I, I literally I lived in Onondaga Hall, and if you look at the campus, I, I swear to you, I could step out, maybe I'd take two throws, maybe one if I got really into it. You could hit the lake. And 
we got 10 feet of snow the first week of February 2007. 10 feet, three days around the NBC Nightly News. It was, it was great. <laughs> it was great. I mean, we we partied all week long. I was going to say, man, like I'm impressed you made it to Tuesday. That's impressive. I'm impressed. Like, oh, I, there were people. The biggest concern was. If somebody, if something really goes south at one of these parties, if somebody getting a little bit too uh, excited to have a beer, like who's getting to the hospital? There's <laughs> nobody getting in that here. I mean, we we were discussing that. We're like, hey, everybody's got to like rain it in here because <laughs> if this thing goes south, we don't like, have a snowmobile, nobody's, right? Nobody's getting in here. So it was. Uh, oh, it was great. It was great. That is beautiful, uh, Matt. What do you got upcoming here on SI in terms of your coverage? I assume playoff coverage, right? Yeah, so I'll be in Kansas City. I'll have my column from Arrowhead Stadium Saturday. We'll have a recast all the games throughout the weekend, both myself and my colleagues. Um, I have uh, the quarterback rankings, 1 through 14, for all the playoffs. They're going up, I believe, today. And then I wrote a piece that went up yesterday, but you can find it on my Twitter handle or at SI.com, where I talked to four in-the-league sources about the officiating. And I asked them, look, two questions. What bothers you the most about it? And if you had the power, what would you change? And then I took those answers and went to Dean Blandino and had him answer on the record about what he thought. Um, found it fascinating. So I hope people check it out. All right. Appreciate it, Matt, and look forward to talking to you again. Hey, Matt, enjoy some uh, brisket or some burn ends for me, will you, please? Oh, I'm getting the two pounds of burn ends the second I get there. Love it. Beautiful. Enjoy. You know, when I was a – I don't know exactly how old Matt was, but I would have been blaring this during my 10-foot snowfall party if I was at – SUNY Oswego, and by the way, that's State University of New York. They have multiple campuses. Oswego would be the one that he was at. Uh, there was a popular song, not even popular, actually. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Nice. And the album that had Parents Just Don't Understand. Track two of that album was As We Go. Okay. And it literally just starts out. We, we got to play that on the other side. Yes. And I would have been bumping that from the dorm rooms and the 10 feet of snow and letting it reverb off of... <laughs> The drifts on either side. <laughs> when you hear the lyrics, you'll understand why. Okay, now let's just pretend that you're a student at SUNY Oswego. You wouldn't, like, be playing that. Re-rack that to the very beginning, Eddie, like the, the opening rift of the song, and tell me that you wouldn't be blaring this in your dorm. You're, like, on your seventh Keystone light, there's 10 feet of snow. I mean. Absolutely. I'd be all over that. My buddy Dewey Williams and I thought this was the greatest rap song of all time when <laughs> DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince came out with this in 1988. I mean, that was the, and if I had known there was a school at that time called Oswego, yes, I know it's not as we go, but Oswego, I probably would have bought us both like jerseys, sweatshirts, and everything else. Been the greatest thing ever. You know? What could have been? I'm fired up for this weekend. You should be. It's Super Wild Card Weekend, Jake. Come on. Here's why I'm fired up for it. Okay. There's just something about, like, there's just like this rust belt, blue collar, buckled down feeling about NFL playoff weekend, cold weather, snowed in. And, and don't be one of the, don't be this guy. Okay, like we could get 10 feet of snow. Well, I know which guy you're going to say. We could do the blizzard of 78. And you're right about this guy. 
I've said this a thousand times on radio, and I'm about to make it a thousand and one. I have never in my life cooked a meal. Ever. I have an oven that's never been turned on. I would have no idea how to do it. I'm not bragging about it. And the resale value on that thing has got to be great. Totally, right? Never been used? Never been used. I mean, I have microwave dinners, and I've made sandwiches and soups, but I've never like used an oven and prepared a meal, and I'm not Neil Brown, right? You a big hungry man guy? Marie Callender's? What we got man. going on, huh? I used to love the TV dinners with the little side thing with the foil that you wrap back for the cherry cobbler in the corner. Oh, yeah? Loved it. Remember Kid Cuisines, Eddie? Oh, yes. <laughs> Lunchables? Yes, yes, yes. Yep. So, having said all that, as I've always said, you could come tomorrow with the world's largest like spool of saran wrap, and saran wrap closed my residence for four days unannounced without me knowing it, and guess what? I, who lives by myself would have enough food in there just kind of laying around to be able to get me by for four days. When there's snow in the forecast, why? and, and I get it. Oh, I no, understand this is if, the wrong guy. Never mind. I understand if you have kids and you need to get formula. I mean, I get that, right? But the people that rush out to get like a month and a half worth of groceries because it's like literally 1978 was the last time that this town shut down for more than 36 hours due to weather. And at that time, the city of Indianapolis owned two salt trucks and a half a barrel of salt. That's it. It was 45 years ago, 46 years ago. You're not going to be stuck in your house for a week straight. So don't be the guy you don't know. that rushes out and buys $900 <laughs> worth of Costco groceries because it's put. Now, what about toilet paper? Well, now, I, I you know my story there, right? Yes. I, I hate to admit <laughs> I have a large supply going there. <laughs> I shouldn't be telling people that. But I'm excited for the weekend to just watch NFL games, just have it on. It is the it's the first of many moments in like the first quarter of a calendar year where you can kick back, relax, have a cold one, be it a beer or a diet coke, as you would say, and just watch a sporting event, multiple sporting events, guilt-free for eight hours straight. It is the teaser appetizer to the countdown to conference championship week and March Madness that we love so dear in this state. But it's the football version, and it's spectacular. There's no reason to feel guilty. You can just watch football on football on football, which is what makes it so super in my mind. I thought you were going to be mad about from a safety standpoint. And I know on this show with no HR department, we scream safety as a top priority. Of course. But I thought you were going to be upset at guy who feels the need, especially if it is negative 30 wind chills at Arrowhead Stadium this weekend to go shirtless to that game. It doesn't make me think you any more of a man because you go shirtless in negative 30 degree weather. It makes me think you're a moron. That's where I thought you were going. But yeah, but you need... Now, if, if I guess if you're going to the Chiefs game and you're going to go shirtless, you only need one other guy because you can at least do just a K and a C. But if you're going to spell out the whole thing, you need... You know what I mean? I don't even mean that. I mean guy that's just shirtless. No paint. Not he's cool. just shirtless. There's always that guy. I know though, there right? is. That dude, enjoy your frostbite. Alcohol might have been a factor. Probably. 
The Pacers in action tonight taking on Atlanta to start their long West Coast road trip. I know Atlanta's not the West Coast, but they go from Atlanta to Denver for a game on Sunday. That Delta hub. Uh, Jimmy, you want to see... And that's what makes it easy, right? Yes. You get to the game in Atlanta, and then you go to the airport, and they're like, where do you want to go? We can take you anywhere direct. Um, You want to see what from Indiana with now that they are entering into this fray, because whenever a key player goes down, Tyrese Halliburton goes down, you know, you think about, I'll, I'll go back to even the game after the brawl, and I know I'm going on the way back here, but like, you had this this spike after the brawl of the very first game, like people were like, this is so incredible. Like they've only got six guys out there and they they fought hard. I think they played Orlando and like, you know, Fred Jones had 35 points or something like that. And, you know, you just over time, he couldn't sustain it. Um, what do you want to see or what are you hoping to see? If anything different, Jimmy, from this roster without Tyrese Halliburton, what and we'll go positive first off. What blessings could come from them having to play over the next 12 days without their superstar? I think that there is a window of opportunity for Benedict Matherin to assert himself, at least in the conversation of, yes, I get it. I'm a guy off the bench right now. I'm your sixth man. I can help get things going, but I want to be a reliable option in the starting lineup. I want to be the player that you drafted me to be. And here in year two, I want to take that step forward and prove to you that I can be the Robin to Tyrese Halliburton's Batman. If I'm asking for a step down from that, like maybe that is too bullish. He's currently averaging over his last 10 games, 16 roughly points per game. I'd like to see that at like, even if it's off the bench, 20 or 25 points a night from Benedict Matherin. Not that he's just jacking up shots and playing iso ball. I would like it in the flow of the Pacers offense, but that would be a bright spot area where I feel like there's a strong opportunity for him to take a leap forward. The other area in terms of opportunities that presents itself, in terms of projected starters right now, Bruce Brown is one of those pieces. I know he's been injured at times this year. If he can stay healthy on this road trip, this could be another opportunity to show why you invested in the championship veteran, the guy that came into Gamebridge Fieldhouse with a ring on his finger and is supposed to be a nice free agent piece that you're going to have a club option with at the end of this year. I would like to see a nice stretch of play from Bruce Brown, and I think he'll have that opportunity more available to him, regrettably, though, as it comes at the expense of Tyrese Halliburton being out. I thought JMV made a really good point yesterday off the top of his show talking about with Miles Turner and just like, you know, pick and roll action. And when the ball goes to a Bruce Brown versus a Halliburton and a lot like with Malcolm Brogdon, when Brogdon was here, that there it felt like when the ball would go there that there was less chance it was actually then coming back to Turner on a roll the Tyler Hansborough effect yeah and and again it, like John said not necessarily a knock on Bruce Brown but it's an interesting point to watch the so offensively do things slow down a little bit without Halliburton probably so the thing from Benedict Matherin that I would like to see I think Matherin is a really fascinating case because clearly he's a good player. And there were times last year at the outset of the season where it looked like he he possibly was an elite player, right? But the the thing about Matherin to me is it does feel like his scoring is primarily 
like non I don't know how to word this. Like he isn't necessarily an in the flow of a half court offense scorer. He usually is a transitional or aggressive towards the basket scorer. And he doesn't seem like a guy still that is like getting mid-range shots on his own or his three-point shooting is not necessarily like in ball rotation, quick release style like other players on the floor. So I guess what I'm saying is I would like to see Matherin diversify his offensive skill set a little bit because there's no doubt that he is a quote-unquote scorer mentality. But he's a scorer mentality in terms of being very aggressive of like, I'm going to the basket and I can contour my body in certain ways if there's contact on me. But, you know, Jordan became, and I mean, whole different level, I realize. But Jordan became the, people forget, Michael Jordan's game truly became Michael Jordan's game once he developed the ability to hit either back to the basket or short pull-up mid-range jump shots. And Matherin, to me, feels more like a guy that either is scoring in transition because he has an ability to to, to contour himself when there's contact and get an and-one, or in a half-court set, still driving to the basket and not necessarily having the quick release of a stop and pull-up before a defender comes over. And those are things that can be developed. But it's just what I'd like to see kind of out of him, if you will, because they're going to need that now. They need him to be able to be a scorer that is scoring within their half-court set, within the flow of their offense. Because I think now he becomes a prioritized scorer number one for them without Halliburton. I'm also interested, this is a stress test for this theory, the one knock on Tyrese Halliburton, and to be clear, He's the franchise player. I have a t-shirt jersey with his name on it. This is not me saying, ah, you need to move on from Tyrese Halliburton. That's not what this is. But the one knock on him is his defense. Do the Pacers suddenly become a better defensive team with him not out there? I don't know. One game sample size against the Wizards is not enough. And again, even if the answer is yes, the then conclusion of that discussion is not well we need to cut back on Tyrese Halliburton's minutes that's not where this goes it's just a fascinating case study on that theory some have that oh well he's a liability defensively therefore could they be a better defensive team speaking of case studies we could probably do an interesting one just based on my Twitter mentions oh I saw one of those earlier what'd you do I don't know I'll explain next and we'll try to solve it and Kevin Bowen joins us at two by the way, I, I'm bound to determine to get to the bottom of this, which we'll do within the next couple of minutes, I think. I want to know the actual temperature. Like everybody's talking about this weekend with the, the games being so cold. The freezer bowl in 82 between the Chargers, Bengals, and then the ice bowl. I want to know what the actual temperature was in both those games because it they go down 20 degrees each year. It was 74 below zero. I'll never forget it. And it's like, and then you look it up and you're like, really? It wasn't that. It was bad, but not that bad. Um, Speaking of freezing, I don't know if these are like freezing takes or what, but I I actually do find it kind of amusing. So yesterday I happened to send a tweet post, whatever you want to call it, on Twitter X, whatever we're calling it these days, that a, a fact that Todd Meyer had pointed out the other day, and I think the morning show talked about it, but it is interesting that of all coaches that faced Nick Saban more than twice in his college coaching career, the only 
to be undefeated against him is Joe Tiller at Purdue, who was 3-0. And I simply sent a tweet that said, I think the the post itself said, Siri, show me the only coach to have been undefeated with Nick Saban, against Nick Saban in more than two you know, matchups. And then I posted a picture of Joe Tiller. And 90% of all people were like, man, that's, you know, what a fun stat or whatever. And then, of course, one guy's like, yeah, well, that was when he was at Michigan State and they had no talent. And I go, okay. So I looked it up, and the guy's a Michigan fan. So I said, well, uh, you know, in that time, the Michigan State team that had no talent, the bottom line is Joe Tiller was the only one that was able to take advantage of that three times because everybody else he beat at least once, including your Michigan Wolverines. So the guy responds with, you're just like, you're like all the Spartans. And I'm like, well, I'm not a Spartan, actually, but thank you. So <laughs> You didn't go green him? That leads to the following two messages, which I'm, I'm actually kind of proud of. The first one, I'm not going to say the name of the account, because I think it's actually a burner account of a guy that has more time in the afternoon than he used to. Um, you are a, and I'm not going to say the word here, uh, you're a blank boy, Jake. You want to be mayor? Question mark. You can't even find a wife, boy. Okay. I mean, James Buchanan managed to become president and didn't find a wife, but that's cool. <laughs> but I've done okay in that regard. You know what I mean? I, I, I do well. Um, that led to then this one that I think is, and this is just the best. Okay. Jake, you're a soft-ass bee who just hides behind a keyboard. Well, it's a microphone first. And I'm like, well, actually, I'm on a microphone <laughs> daily with a public cell phone number. And that's different than somebody who calls somebody a soft, you know, blank from behind a keyboard. Um, to which the person replied, keep hiding, bud. Where am I hiding? Isn't your face your profile picture? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where am I? Where am I hiding? You just change your name, not the actual handle, but instead of Jake Query, your name on there for a day is definitely not hiding. Just leave it on there. That's right. Yep. Or or blank boy, right? Yeah. By Turns the way, out I, Boo has a mansion, so he hides in <laughs> Boo's mansion. That's right. I have temperatures for you. I don't know if we have time here or not. Okay, here we go. I'm going to guess, okay? Now, these what are was the, the second game you said? Not the Ice Bowl. What was the other one you wanted? Freezer Bowl, which was the 82 AFC Championship game of the San Diego at Chargers okay. at All Cincinnati right, I Bengals. You. I got you. Yep. Now, is this the wind chill or regular air temperature? Has both. Okay. I'm going to say the ice bowl between the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers was 15 degrees below zero. As the regular temperature, not the wind no, chill. No, the wind chill. Okay, give it to me again, your guesses. I'm sorry. 15, I'm going to say that the ice bowl was zero degrees and 15 below with wind chill. Okay. Are we playing this like now I'm going to reveal to you what it actually yes. was? The real temperature was negative 13 degrees. The wind chill was negative 48 degrees. Wow, and that's the ice bowl. Yes. Okay. I'm not kidding you. I feel like that's been embellished over the years, but that's cool. Okay, the uh, freezer bowl. This is from NFL.com, so if they're lying to me, then I'm buying the propaganda. Freezer bowl in Cincinnati, 1982. Your guess? Uh, I'm going to say that it was... the, The actual temperature was four below, and the wind chill was 31 below. Okay, actual temperature, minus 9. Wind chill, minus 59. Okay. I mean, that's cold. Uh, other notable games, uh, 2015 wildcard, Seahawks, Vikings, 
2016, January 10, 2016, 2015 wild card. I think that was the Blair Walsh missed field goal game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, negative six degrees, negative 25 wind chill. 72, Minnesota versus the Packers, zero degrees, negative 18 wind chill. But listen, all of it pales in comparison to the greatest moment in playoff history, or in, I don't even think it was a playoff game, in Minnesota history. I think it was the St. Louis Cardinals was playing at Minnesota when the halftime show, the Vikings were promoting the the little festival that they would do in St. Paul every year, and they had a ten year old kid on a little hot air balloon that then the the ropes broke free, and literally it, it, he took off and flew out of the stadium on a on a little balloon that was supposed to go five feet in the air and come back down, and it took off with this little kid just sitting in a basket and took off, and the crowd's like ooh, and it split the uprights <laughs> and left the stadium, and then he was found in the Minnesota River like five miles down road by a hunter who dried him off, took him back to the stadium and returned him to his parents. <laughs> Greatest moment in Minnesota football history. Kevin Bowen next. Final hour for us on a Friday. JMV coming up, by the way, three o'clock. Good conversation he had yesterday with Rick Venturi. You might want to go back and look at that. They'll recap that. I'm sure John will today joining us on the program right now. Of course, you hear him in the morning with Andy Sweeney, the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Kevin Bowen joins us. Kevin, you were there yesterday for the Colts' end-of-season press conference with Chris Ballard. First off, just your overall impressions of anything that might have jumped out at you out of that that surprised you, if anything, and kind of compare and contrast Ballard's mood or demeanor, let's say, compared to the same spot a year ago. Well, much, much different than than a year ago. That one's pretty easy. Um, I, I would say what was surprising, you know, he had an Anthony Richardson comment that I think kind of slipped by some, some people and it initially did me until I went back and listened to it again. Uh, but he really feels like the sample size he saw with Richardson, 173 snaps, he feels like he's a legitimate passer in this league. And, you know, he obviously threw in the caveat, as he often does, you know, let's not crown the kid just yet, but – um, well, I, you know, me personally, I, I thought Richardson you know, did have, uh, again, a nice sample size. As a passer, I, I'm not sure if I, I would say that just yet with him, um, but clearly Ballard felt comfortable enough to say that in a public setting. And if someone of his stature is going to say that, you know, clearly he, he feels it. Um, so that was probably the one, like, one of the surprises, you know, certainly the Gus Bradley comment to them returning and, you know, really kind of taking the blame for the defensive issues from a points allowed standpoint. You know, I thought that was a question that needed to be asked. You know, he continues to show plenty of public love for Michael Pittman Jr. And, again, I'd be surprised if he did not return. So uh, those are probably a few of the things. But, yeah, to your last point, Jake, I mean, certainly uh, far better mood. I mean, he finally has a head coach and quarterback, and he hasn't said that really in, in any of the previous Januaries. Kevin, maybe I misunderstood his cadence or his tone or maybe the message he was trying to convey, but when he answered that Anthony Richardson question you brought up, I had that in my notes when he says, don't crown him, don't stamp him yet, but we're encouraged. What does he mean by crown and stamp? Does he mean as the next great quarterback in the entire NFL, or does he mean as the next face of the franchise in terms of we're not ready to crown him as that yet? Oh, no, I, I think he meant, you know, let's not call up the firefighter who made Peyton's statue and get him ready for, you know, Anthony's statue. I, I, I think that's what he meant. Yeah, he's yeah he's clearly the, the franchise quarterback. And, yeah, I mean, you are now building on a rookie contract, another thing that, you know, Ballard hasn't done yet. Uh, so, yeah, it was much more of the, 
Um, yeah, let's not erect a statue just yet. But yes, he is our guy, certainly to begin 2024 and, you know, for the next X amount of years. Speaking of the firefighter that did the Peyton Manning statue, Kevin, you had contacted him like a year ago to start on the Benedict Matherin one. Have you had, have you told him to hold <laughs> off or where do we stand there? Well, I think the body type maybe has changed. I think maybe it's more of a taller, slender Tyrese Halliburton than it is a Benedict Mather and one. But hey, lately there's there's maybe been some more. Uh, you know, we could have a meeting in the future there. But yeah, the uh, the blueprint was getting a little dusty there for a while. Hey, Kevin, um, one of the things that jumped out at me, and I, I want your thought on this. When Chris Ballard was talking, I I thought it was really interesting when he was asked about Alec Pierce. While he did kind of defend Alec Pierce by saying, look, he does really well what we ultimately are going to need him to do, which I took that as, hey, this is a guy that can get behind the defense and then we have to have a strong enough arm to get him the ball and you can see what he can do. And we didn't properly take advantage of that at the frequency we should, but we eventually will. That's what I took from that. But when he was asked about the disappointing or inconsistent play of Alec Pierce, Chris Ballard paused for a, a few seconds and then said, that's a good question. Almost as if to validate that, yes, there is legitimacy in the concern about Pierce. Am I too Freudian with that interpretation? No, I don't think you are. I, I You know, Eddie and I did this exercise a little bit earlier where we went through you know, all the games for Alec Pierce. Apologize if you can hear this fire truck in the back. Yeah, do you need to pull – is that the fire – is that the the guy with the statue? Yeah. (laughs) That's a great question. Yeah, he's got the Matherin statue now I see on the back of it as it drives (laughs) by. Um, No, I think it's a totally, you know, fair way to look at it because, again, Pierce is – he's confusing for lack of a better term um, because – you know, I, again, Eddie and I did this a little bit earlier. I, I would find hard-pressed to find a wide receiver in the NFL that played more snaps this season but had fewer catches. I think Eddie looked it up. It was 32 catches on the season. I mean, you know, it's a dude that plays, you know, 60-some snaps a game. I mean, he hardly comes off the field. He played every snap but two against Houston, didn't have a catch. Like, you don't guys just fall into catches? <laughs> like inevitably it's just like if you're going to be out there for 50 60 snaps sooner or later the ball finds you at least a couple of times and there were so many games this season where he had one or even zero catches having said all of that um i I don't think you're in some position where you just dump him or trade him you drafted him to be with anthony well yeah i mean you you really looked at the anthony richardson selection and thought this is going to help out al pierce obviously pierce was the year before but you know, you thought at the time, very similar to a statement Ballard made yesterday, if we need to get more explosive. Well, that is what Pierce can do. Now, he needs the right partner in crime to do it. And, again, Richardson would theoretically be that guy. Um, and the thing, too, about Pierce is, which is so different than even Michael Pittman, you know, Pittman really needs seven or eight catches to feel his presence in a game. For the most part, Pierce just needs one or two. I mean, Alec Pierce is a huge reason why you beat the Raiders. He had one catch in that game. You know, again, Pittman, it's more of, you know, a little bit of a thousand paper cut sort of thing. So I still think you can be patient with Pierce. I still think just because I say that doesn't mean uh, you crown him, to use a Ballard phrase or anything like that. And it doesn't lessen the need to go out and get a white out. But I think seeing him with Anthony Richardson for a full year would be very important for his true evaluation.
Kevin Bowen joins us. You hear him 7 to 10 a.m. on these very airwaves on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Of course, Colts beat writer at 1075thefan.com. Kevin, I get there's an element to this of, well, what's he supposed to say? It's a guy under contract. He's not going to badmouth him at the end of your press conference. And I get that. But Chris Ballard said he's very happy to have Matt Gay on this roster. And I'm not saying that maybe a one-year sample size is enough to say cut the guy or to fully abandon ship. But you made him the highest paid kicker for a reason. And even if you take out guys that only took like four kicks or three kicks all year, that only bumps him to 27th in accuracy on the year. That's an abject failure with what that signing was, is it not? Wait, give that give that to me again. If you if you take out what? So there's there's a couple guys at the top of the like the NFL doesn't mask it by attempts. So he's 32nd got in the it, league in it, accuracy, but if you take out like four guys that took only four field goals or like two field goals, he finished 27th yeah. in accuracy, hit an 80% clip. And I get it, maybe some of his attempts were longer than others, but you make that transaction with the thought that that problem is fixed. And when I look at that number where he finished over the year, it's hard not to look at that as an abject failure. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd go all the way there. Um, I guess it's a little bit of carrying Matt Gay's water here with that statement. But I also thought you threw him into some very difficult situations or situations that just his grading scale is different than others. Now, having said that, you bring up the point of how much he gets paid. You pay him that much money to be put into those situations and deliver for you from, you know, whatever, 57 yards, for example, like you asked him to make on Saturday night. Um, you know, I, I don't want you to do this project because it sounds boring to me, but maybe I should do it at some point. You know, if you broke down the 50-yard attempts for him, compare that to other guys around the league, you know, certainly many of his misses last year came from north of, of 50. Um yeah, again, abject failure. I don't know if I can go there. Do you, you think know, he was a, hurt? A, well, I mean, clearly he was hurt for a period of time. I don't know, you know, A, how long that lingered or, you right. know, even B, just like, how, I mean, that was really one week, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that he was even on the injury report there. So, um, you know, the 57-yard decision on Saturday night, as much as, you would like to think Matt Gay is capable of making that. I, I to me, and not to focus on one kick, but I thought that was a that was a time just to pump the ball deep. I felt like that was a moment in the game where, you know, Houston kind of struggled offensively with it. Your defense was playing a little bit better. You know, could you play the field position game and just pray that Nico Collins doesn't torch you like he did all night long? But yeah, I, I think you can sit here and say, you know, there's some disappointment in in, in Matt Gay, but I mean. Without him, there are several games, i.e. the Baltimore game, that obviously you don't you don't win either. Kevin Bowen is our guest. Of course, you hear him in the mornings with Andy Sweeney, the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Uh, Kevin, Michael Pittman's the obvious answer. We're going to take that off the table here. The most important free agent for the Colts that Chris Ballard wants to immediately get locked in and retained is who? Yeah, it's a great question. I think you can make strong cases for three of them, Grover Stewart, Kenny Moore, Julian Blackman. Um, I actually think Tyquan Lewis is a bit of an underrated guy as well. I know his injury history won't merit the same thing, but he's honestly produced more than Quiddy Pay has for you here. As of late, uh, it's probably Grover. Um, but, again, I think you can make really strong arguments for three of them. It's actually uh, something I asked on Twitter, and it was kind of – Interesting looking at the responses that fans gave. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's any nickel uh, behind Kenny Moore at all. Um, you know, the one guy that was back up you know, just got suspended and 
wave this past week in Tony Brown. Um, and then, you know, just popping the film for Saturday night if Julian Blackman's agent needs to remind the Colts of any leverage for his client there of how the safety's performed without him. Now, again, you have something at safety, I guess. Uh, Nick Cross, Rodney Thomas, you know, you've found some one-year signings at safety before that have worked for you. Um, so I guess that would probably be third on the list. But Grover and Kenny, I mean, Grover, obviously we saw it for six games. And Kenny, um, I thought Zaire Franklin had a great quote in talking about Kenny at the end of the season of just, I have no idea what it would look like without him. Like, it, he just he just does so much for that secondary that kind of gets lost or maybe doesn't necessarily show up in a box score. So I would probably say Grover 1A, Kenny 1B, and then if I had to throw, Julian would probably be second or third on that list, I guess. Okay, speaking of Kenny Moore, how many nickels do you think it's going to take to, to retain him? In other words, of those three guys, Grover Stewart, Kenny Moore, and Julian Blackman, which one do you think actually – has the most value to other franchises and as a result could have the suitor that drives up the price tag for Chris Ballard. Yeah, I mean, if you go off age, you know, it would clearly be Blackman, but of course he's got the injury history that the other couple of guys don't have. Um, you know, Kenny is an interesting one because if you do have Matt Eberflus-like guys around the league, I know there's not a lot of them that, um, you know, kind of look at the defense and the nickel position in particular in the same light that Eberflus does, but there are some guys out there. I mean, you know, Arizona, Jonathan Gannon comes from, you know, the, the Eberflus tree, if you will, and obviously Eberflus is the head coach of Chicago. So if, you know, a handful of those teams all of a sudden – view Kenny as a really, really important piece, he could garner it. And then the run defense one is an interesting thought with Grover because he's not helping you out on third down, really. And I think there are some coaches out there that have the belief of, like, you know, you can really scheme up a little bit more from a run defense standpoint. Um, So I'd probably say it's Kenny, but, you know, again, Grover's durability at that spot I don't think should be lost either. Um, I know it's probably a little wishy-washy in the answer that I'm giving, but I I do feel like it's that tight when you talk about these three guys. But I'd probably go Kenny, Grover, Julian, Julian's injury history being the big issue there. Kevin Bowen is our guest. You can hear him weekdays, 7 to 10 a.m. on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy. KB, we spoke with Matt Verderam of SI.com at the top of the 1 o'clock hour. You can get that podcast. Just search Query and Company a little bit later today wherever you get your podcasts. And he talked about the lack of cap space utilized by Chris Boward in free agency when I asked him, hey, it's year eight, but there's caveats to year eight. The quarterbacks he's gone through, you cover it. You know the drill. But he emphasized the fact that this should not be an offseason where the Colts are looking at the rollover cap space they have like it's an AT&T wireless plan going into 2024 as a whole. Do you view it the same way where, regardless of how you feel about Ballard's ability to draft, when it comes to spending, he's not been willing to do it and to take it a step further, he mentioned it's one thing to go out and get like four or five guys at like low-level money versus actually paying three guys that deserve to be paid. Do you subscribe to that philosophy in terms of how they should utilize their cap space when attacking the open market? Yeah, I think this is the opportunity where you have to pounce. You have to take advantage of rookie contract quarterbacks. Um, You've seen that around the league. And honestly, you've probably seen a little bit more with trades. 
Um, and, and of course, with trades, you are absorbing some sort of cap. Um, you know, think about what your well, I guess what the Dolphins did with Tua to your Chiefs and and trading for Tyreek Hill, two on the rookie deal. Uh, what did Philadelphia do in trading for AJ Brown on the rookie deal? I'm almost positive the Stephon Diggs trade occurred when Josh Allen was also on a rookie deal. So yeah, this is and you know to be to be honest, you know Ballard mentioned that several times yesterday. You know this is flexibility. This is not something we've had where you do have this rookie contract quarterback and you have the flexible cap space, and now it's like, okay, um, how do you go about, you know, using it, spending it, all of those things. So, yeah, this is an opportunity to do it, and I did think Ballard, and again, part of me is like, I'm trying not to let kind of like hope creep into my ears, but like I don't recall yesterday, and you guys obviously listened to it, I don't recall yesterday in the 50 minutes getting the typical free agency soapbox from him of like, a money to B players or B money to C players. I didn't really hear that from him yesterday. There was a moment late in the uh, in the press conference where he was asked specifically about wideouts and the market value for wideouts, and he brought up and hell, we all can raise our hand at this. Uh, he brought up you know just gas price analogy and like if you want to drive your car uh, and it's four dollars a gallon, you got to put four dollars a gallon into your tank. And that's kind of what he was saying with whiteout. You know, if you want whiteouts, um, and I know there's some obviously jokes you could play off of that with Ballard's past whiteout comments, like you would have to, uh, you know, you're going to have to spend whatever it is, $20-some million to retain a guy like Michael Pittman. So I actually thought Ballard's words backed up some of that. Now, of course, actions will ultimately be there. But I guess largely, Jimmy, to the point you originally asked, yes, uh, this is the time. Rookie contract quarterback, you've got about two to three years to – front load contracts to absorb cap space. And if you don't take advantage of that, you're going to feel some of that pain come, you know, year five, year six, when you really start playing Richardson and not just paying Richardson, you know, paying Bernard Ryman. Uh, Ryman's due an extension next off season. If he continues on this path and, you know, at some point you'd love to pay a pass rusher, big money and, and pay a cornerback big money. So yeah, now is the time. Kevin Bowen is our guest. Okay, Kevin, let's just say hypothetically that, your wife, Maddie, tells you, Kevin, we've got a lot of stuff we got to do around the house. You, you know, the, we got stuff to do with the kids. It's a busy time of year. I'm going to allow you to watch one, one wild card weekend or wild card round game in the NFL. And you have the choice. The only two games that she's allowing you to watch. So you have to pick from one of these two Tampa and Philly. <laughs> Or Steelers and Buffalo. Which one is the game that you go with? Gosh, you're quite the demand. I just want to watch Notre Dame Florida State basketball tomorrow at two fifteen. <laughs> have my weekend here. Um, I would watch yeah Buffalo. No, I mean outside of weather, I don't. Buffalo Pittsburgh doesn't do it for me. Uh, certainly Philly Tampa. Let's go. Okay, so we're now it's two to two, right? I, I go with Buffalo Pittsburgh, and I was telling Jimmy that the, the biggest guh matchup is <laughs> Philly Tampa. Well, well, I'd love to hear your rationale on. Thank you, Kevin. Buffalo. I appreciate the floor there. <laughs> Here's my rationale: the Buffalo Bills are a team that, for the last few years, have kind of knocked on the door, and they're a story, of course, of a franchise that has a rabid and passionate fan base, and then with a dynamic quarterback where going into the season it felt like there was the possibility all dreams were going to be welcomed and and met and fulfilled but 
they struggled. They couldn't find themselves. Stephon Diggs was unhappy. And then in a true gauntlet towards the end of the season, they managed to dig deep to get into the playoffs. And the question now becomes, did that awakening have enough to carry them to the promised land that has eluded them so many times before? Or did they actually exert too much energy and now once again their dreams are going to be broken right before our very eyes in what is true playoff rust belt snow flurry lunch pail seeing your breath football weather between the Pittsburgh Steelers a proud franchise that eked their way in and now has the chance to ruin the dreams of their rust belt neighbor the buffalo bills as opposed to the philadelphia eagles who have won recently but are kind of backpedaling heading into the playoffs they've got kind of dreary and grab looking you know, just boring looking uniforms <laughs> and they're going into a, a stadium that was kind of like ikea it was totally cool 15 years ago now it's kind of tired it's got a pirate ship and they got a guy in Baker Mayfield who truly his most significant moment of the last 10 years was planting a flag in the middle of Ohio Stadium. Well, um, yeah, I, I, that doesn't change my opinion. I, I appreciate you laying the, laying all of that out. It warmed uh, your heart, comments. didn't you? It warmed mine. Yeah, I mean, there were some comments that I nodded at. I mean, like, isn't Nick Sirianni potentially like, on the hot seat? Like, yeah, I, I know. Yeah, it, I mean, that's, that's after intriguing. After he yelled at Chiefs fans when they were 9-1, and one, where have they been since then? I'm not bitter. I was going to say, I look at Philly as just juicy right now. They've got the injuries, and Jalen Hurts has thrown one pass since the injury. And, you know, Baker has been on this journey. I mean, Baker started for, what, four teams in like an 18-month span, and now all of a sudden it's like he's hosting a home playoff game. And, you know, how do they look there? Um, yeah, I just don't think – unless the weather is crazy, I don't think Buffalo gets tested. So I guess right. that's kind of more of my like, – I just I, think I Buffalo's a more – here's the thing. I think Buffalo's a more fun team to watch. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, Philly, when they're humming, which they haven't been in a while, they are pretty fun as well. But I just I can't watch Mason Rudolph in the playoffs. Yeah, it's a bye week. Or, it's a bye week. It should be a bye week. Maybe the weather impacts that, but it should be a game that's over by the first quarter. Yeah, it's like one of those things where it's like, did we really need to expand the playoffs to seven teams? Like, yeah. Did Pittsburgh really need to get in? Totally. We, uh, do we have to have that in there? You know, that's, that's a little bit of my thought, too. Hey, of these jobs, Kevin... Washington, Carolina, the Chargers. We just talked to Matt Verderam about this, but I want your thoughts. Washington, Carolina, the Chargers, Vegas, Seattle, Tennessee, Atlanta. I don't think I'm missing anybody because New England has already been filled. Um, which of those jobs, which of those franchises do you think is going to have the hardest time selling a coach on taking over their franchise? Which is the hardest sell to get somebody to coach you? Well, I, I think Tennessee is going to have a bit of a bit of a sell there. Uh, Tennessee and Carolina. I mean, certainly from an ownership standpoint, is David Tepper psychotic? Um, yeah, that yes, would be, he is. You know, yeah, yeah. I guess the answer is already there, but that, that would definitely be a question I would have. Like, how long is my leash? Uh, those sorts of things. Uh, Tennessee. I mean, all of a sudden you're walking into an AFC South where it's like, whoa, um, is it? You know. This is now the new AFC South, and it's like, wait, is Will Levis? Do I have to keep him? Do I, you know, like that would be a question. And um, you know, ownership wise, there all of a sudden might might bring lots of pretty darn good resume, and and you let him go. So I would say, yeah, I'd say easily Carolina and Tennessee, unless I'm just forgetting somebody that's really obvious. Okay, lastly, take me through Notre Dame and Florida State in basketball. Are you really going to watch? 
Well, they had to they had to get to South Bend last night because of the weather. I know we're dealing with a lot of weather issues. If I'm not mistaken, I think I saw earlier the IU women uh, did not travel to Iowa or aren't going to travel till tomorrow morning, I guess, due to the weather. So, yeah, it's great time to play. You know, you're always curious when do you play the. You know, this is my Mike Mike Bray talking. You know, we 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 want to play the Florida ACC teams when it's awful weather. Well, boy, are you getting that? Those Florida State kids have just been cooped up in the hotel room for 36 hours going to be great. I don't think Leonard Hamilton's team is any good. And Notre Dame just won their first road game in 23 months, which is such a sorry stat to even say publicly, but that is what happened the Wait, other who night. Who did they in beat on the road? Georgia Tech. Uh, they beat the Ramblin' Rack of Georgia Tech. And I, You know what? I, I should know this. I'm embarrassed. Who's coaching Georgia Tech now? Is it Damon Stoudemire? I was going to say. That, that's, that's right up your alley. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because um, I saw Josh Pastner's like working a studio somewhere now on one of the thirty-eight different college basketball networks. Yeah, he was uh, he was pregame for IU Rutgers the other night. Yeah, he's a pretty likable dude. But um, Georgia Tech, a once proud program, by the way. I was they were they were big when I was in high school, obviously. But uh, so your Irish beat Florida State. That's what we're going going with here. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Uh, they have played better since Rake and I saw them lose to the Citadel by 20. God, which tough. Gosh. so tough. Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. I'm I can sorry. feel your laugh. Did, you did you guys drive there and back on the same night? Same night. Oh, yeah, there and back. Same and then night. you did the morning show in the morning? Yes, correct. See, I'm yep, glad uh-huh. to see that, that in the brief 18-month period, Kevin, I'm glad to see that there was part of me that rubbed off on you in terms of bonsai trips and still getting up and going in the morning. Love it. Yeah, it was one of those things where it's like, wait, you guys did like people were like they, they thought Rick and I were joking, I think, and then they like saw that we were actually there and like, wait, you actually went to the Notre Dame game on Tuesday night and they lost by twenty to the Citadel. Um, yeah, it was one of those. Mo- it was a very humbling moment to be honest with you. When 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 we hit Peru, I'm like, wait a minute, we still have over an hour to go. Is this really what we're doing right now? <laughs> What's the opposite of taking your shirt off? Like putting more layers on? Is that what the reaction was there for you after the Citadel game? Yeah, it was one of those, you know, you go to the concession stands. Do you have brown bags? Can we wear those here for the final? <laughs> what was the crowd? How many were there? The game? How many were there? Oh, so pathetic. Uh, yeah, I, honestly, and, and Ray could vouch for this, if there were more than 500 people there, they would be lying to you. Really? I mean, Tuesday night, it wasn't great. Well, actually, I thought it was decent weather now that I think about it. But it was a 6 o'clock start on a Tuesday night. Now I'm just making excuses. No students, but it was, yeah, it was awful. Yeah, it was. A, I mean, to be fair, Notre Dame men's basketball does not draw very good crowds unless they're great. I mean, it, it's a very fair weather fan base. The women certainly draw better crowds. There, there's no no debating that whatsoever. Well, I like that you're a fan of somebody. Then, and you're one of 500. That's kind of cool. Uh, Kevin, are enjoy we the weekend. The Notre Dame, What's that? Are we going to the Notre Dame? Are we going to the Notre Dame Clemson basketball game? <laughs> hey, Clemson's still ranked, aren't they? I think they're 19th. Wasn't that guy supposed to be the IU coach at one point? Brad, Brad Brunell, Brad yeah. Brunell well, he's from he's from Evansville, so people always throw his name in there whenever it depending on what they're doing. Clemson, though, is the proverbial, Kevin, as you know. Clemson is the proverbial every year. Starts out twelve and zero, one of the last four teams to lose their first game, and then selection Sunday comes and they're eighteen and thirteen and they've won six of their last nineteen games. <laughs> every year. Yeah. Every yeah, single we, year. We will yeah, we'll be comparing Butler's resume next to Clemson here in a couple of months. That's exactly right. All right, Kevin, enjoy the games this weekend. All right, see you guys. All right, Kevin Bowen joining us on the program. By the way, breaking news in the world of sports. 
I think at this point, do we know if it's confirmed breaking news or thought to be like a certainty about to happen? It seems lean breaking yeah. news. I've seen a ton of reporters on it now. Pete Thiel right. has it as well. So we will get to that coming up in just a couple of minutes. But before that, Indy Golf Expo, which is, of course, next weekend, Friday the 19th. That's a week from today through Sunday. That's going to take place at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. And if you are a golfer and you want to get in the swing of things, getting set for the spring, no worries. We got you covered. Two tickets to give away. We'll do it right now for caller number what, Eddie? Four? Go on caller number four, right? We'll give away two pairs here. So if you're caller four and caller six. You know why I went with four? Yes. It's golf. 239-1070 is the telephone number. Big news next. So I got a question for you. Because we talked a lot already about NFL playoffs and whether or not one of us is right or wrong about which matchup is better or worse in a specific area of the bracket for both the AFC and NFC. I can't objectively answer this question, so I guess I'll defer to both of you. Super wildcard weekend. Yes, we're excited about it as football fans. Disappointed the Colts aren't there. But as you look at the matchups that are on the table, which one are you genuinely most excited about? It is appointment television for you. thought we had some breaking news. You're right. I totally lapsed. That's Friday brain for me. I apologize. I should pay attention more. We do have some breaking news, Eddie. It's actually a bummer for a football schedule for people in the Pacific Northwest because I would have liked to have seen the Seattle Seahawks in the playoffs, and that would have been my answer, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. um, about who was going to be like the, the team that I most wanted. That's why, yes, right? Yes, come on. Um, but... In the city of Seattle, not one but two coaches are on their way out. Pete Carroll, as we now know, no longer the coach of the Seattle Seahawks. And it appears as though it appears as though the University of Washington will also be looking for a new head football coach. That is because, Eddie Garrison, you were the one that discovered all of the wild reports now on social media as well as ESPN.com that the University of Alabama might have found their guy, right? Correct, yeah. Uh, Pete Thamel of ESPN and countless others at this point have had it, but uh, Kalen DeBoer will be heading to Alabama to replace Nick Saban as the Crimson Tide's next head coach. What a rough week for Washington, man. I think the reason you leave Washington is because nobody wants to go through the rigors of the Big Ten and can rather go into the SEC, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well done. Um, Way to play to the demo. But there probably is some reality to the fact of just, you know, I think right now Washington might be the better job, quite frankly. I know it sounds crazy because of there's less demand at Washington. I mean, in Washington, there would be pressure, don't get me wrong. But I guess your thought process is you just slide over and carry on you know he is a guy that probably can carry on what Saban has done and do so fairly seamlessly but even with that following up a legend like that is that is no easy task man and I make the joke that Nick Saban is scared of the 12 team playoff right and there's half truth to that because his legacy is probably safe but in today's society where narratives can be formed in an instant and maybe you stumble in the playoff, let's just say, if he was still there, then all of a sudden it becomes, oh, well, yeah, if you have a one or two game window to win, he's great. But all of a sudden you expand to a four or five win scenario in the playoffs. Look at this. Like, that's just the way that sports media works at times today. It's not a full genuine conversation. But that said, for Kalen DeBoer, 
on top of the fact he's following a legend, the expectation for Alabama fans is to win the national championship. And that does get somewhat harder in my mind for all schools, not just Alabama, with the expansion of 12 teams. On the other hand, though, he has won nearly everywhere he's been. His coaching record just at the legacy matchups that he's had in terms of just top names in the sport. He's a two-time Pac-12 coach of the year, 3-0 against Dan Lanning, 2-0 against Steve Carcesian, Sarkeesian, excuse me, 2-0 versus Lincoln Riley, 12-2 versus top 25 opponents, 104-12 is his record. I get it, not all those are SEC games, but he has a winning background and is as good as you could probably ask for to get an opportunity to keep Bama where expectations are post-Saban. But that said, Jake, the old narrative is you never want to be the guy to follow the guy. No question. Here's a good trivia question. And I'm going to go off the top of my head here. I'm not looking this up. Eddie Garrison, I'm going to ask you to look up for verification purposes of this fun game. Who did Nick Saban replace as the head coach at Alabama? Now, I think it might have been Mike Price. So was it Mike Price or was it who was the coach that was there? That was, Okay, Mike Price was the coach at Washington State that was hired by Alabama and there was a scandal and thus he ended up not getting the job at Alabama. I don't think he coached a game. I think it was a George O'Leary type thing where he was hired. and then. So I don't know if in that situation they then had to scramble and hire Nick Saban or did Nick Saban immediately replace Mike Shula? I think it's one of those two. Eddie, do you have the answer in front of you? I'm scrolling. I do. Thank you, Jimmy. It was Mike Shula. There was an interim by the name of Joe Kynes. I apologize. Maybe I should like be strongly familiar with. So Mike Shula name, was there yes. for how long? He was there from 2003 to 2006. Do they list Mike Price? What Price would have been right off of? So maybe like 99 or 2000. Then they list Price as 03. Okay, so it was so so Shula was the immediate replacement Correct. for Price. Price replaced who? So that becomes another question, which would be, who was the coach at Alabama? Let me ask you this. The coach before Price was there for how long? Coach before Price. So 99 I, to, to be. I thought we were done with this game, so give me one second. Uh, 01 to 02. Oh, boy. I'm saying this only to show how challenging it can be, even at an Alabama, to kind of get it right. And I think they probably did in this situation. Um, so who did Price... I don't know how to say this last name. I'm just going to flip the monitor around. You can do it for me. This was Coach Fran. Oh, that is Francione. Yeah, he came from TCU. Yes. Um, or, or then went to TCU. I think he came from TCU. I forgot about him. Uh, Coach Ladanian Tomlinson at TCU and then went there. Um, and then he, I, I think he had replaced Gene Stallings, right? Uh, Mike DeBose. Okay. See, again. I mean, you know, you're talking then, about. Then Gene Stallings. Yeah, two legendary coaches between you know Bear Bryant um, and and Nick Saban are, are are the two legends at Alabama. But it's it's but you know when Saban was hired at Alabama, 
And of course, he was with the Miami Dolphins. But you know, he had been at Michigan State, and I and I think people knew at Michigan State that he was a good coach. And LSU, obviously, he won at LSU. But you know, so much of it is just getting the right personnel, getting everything in place, and clearly, DeBoer is kind of walking into that. Now, you would assume that he, you know, the real question is was was DeBoer their first choice? That's irrelevant, I guess. Or did others say like, look, I'm not, I'm, I'm not. Others kind of made it clear that they did not want to be in the running, but does that mean that they? I can't were, imagine he was top number one dog on the list. No, he's got to be up there. I mean, correct, but I can't think he was consensus number one. No doubt. From what I was gathering from multiple different people, Mike Norvell, Steve Sarkeesian, and Dan Lanning all said they were comfortable staying at their respective right. programs. But but there's no definitive evidence that they turned yeah. down. You know, they might have just been preemptive. You know, the, the king of, and I love this guy, love him, okay? But Ron Hunter, when he was at IUPUI, he was a colorful character, a, a great guy, fun, and a very good basketball coach. But when Ron Hunter was at IUPUI, I remember one time there was a job opening at Cleveland State. And Ron Hunter, like, and this was brilliant on his behalf, but Ron Hunter basically came out and said, like, I'm not taking the Cleveland State job. You know, people were like, Ron Hunter's going to Cleveland State. I'm not taking the Cleveland State job. And then later you talk to people that were within the league that Cleveland State was in the Horizon League, and they're like, yeah, like Ron Hunter, the the the, the AD at Cleveland State was like, who? Ron Hunter, the, the guy that, like, coaches at IEPUI? Like, I don't think he was ever even a candidate. But you get that so often. A lot of times it's agent-driven. Uh, you know, one of the one of the really hard things for me to learn Agents got to eat too, Jake. Early, I know. But one of the really hard things to, for me to learn early in my career was oftentimes if there were openings for coaching in particular, I would have people tell me like so-and-so is a candidate for this job. There's a job opening. I'm telling you right now, the guy that is really getting a lot of attention and phone calls is this coach. Or they've reached out to him. There's a lot of interest. There's discussion, and I would and I bought into that when I was a younger reporter. Like, hey, so and so, and and I'm speci- I'm thinking of a specific example of a school locally that had an opening, and I'm like, so I'm hearing this guy, and people are like, what? I'm like, no, I'm telling you, this guy's a candidate. I know for a fact because I know somebody that's part of the discussion. And then later, I went back and looked at it, and I'm like, you know what? The person I was hearing that from was the agent who is saying that to drum up the interest level in their client so that other schools think that guy must be really good if that school is interested in him. You know what I mean? And I mean, that was like, I, I used to buy into that. And I think a lot of that happens now. So in the case you're talking about Eddie with those three guys, Clearly, those are three guys that would have been natural candidates, right? Norvell could make sense for what you're talking about now because he just got a eight-year extension just hours ago. Now, he's a guy – yeah, see, exactly. So you use that to as leverage, right? Would mm-hmm. you, is the only difference between an agent and a used car salesman the overhead money that you're potentially bringing to- in? Totally. Is that it? Okay. All right. So make sure I was right on that. And the, the other difference is this. With the agent, when you go to them and you have an offer, he doesn't have to go talk to his boss and then come back and let you know what he says. <laughs> right? We know yeah. that much. Yes. Uh, Jimmy's Plays of the Week coming up. 
The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day extended into Super Wild Card Weekend, so be sure to have the pens and papers ready. There's a lot going on. We'll take the Pacers on the money line outright over the Atlanta Hawks. That at plus 180 juice this evening. Also going to take the Hoosiers on the money line over Minnesota, that game at Assembly Hall. For Super Wild Card Weekend, lay the nine. Bills favored by nine against the Bills. They'll host the Pittsburgh Steelers. Also this weekend, we'll take the Houston Texans, one of the money line over the Cleveland Browns. Chiefs favored by four and a half. I will lay the four and a half on Kansas City against the Miami Dolphins. Also, take the Detroit Lions on the money line over the Rams. Last game that is not that Monday night playoff game. Green Bay Packers, seven-point dogs. I'll scoop the seven on the Packers in Dallas. Eddie, do you have anything? Did you just say the Texans over the Browns? I did say the Texans over the Browns. They're going to take advantage of that home playoff game that could have been the Colts. They're going to send Cleveland packing. I don't have anything, but interesting choice. All right, thank you. Now, scoop means you picked it up, right? Yeah, I, 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 there are points. There are so underdogs. Like I'm scooping Green those Bay. points. I'll take the seven, yes. Green Bay's playing in Dallas, right? Correct, yep. Hey, are you going to the Kansas City toilet? <laughs> Did you Coming see my text? Week? I listened yeah. to the Colts, po- the Colts pregame for two minutes. <laughs> I, well, I listened it. to the whole thing, but two minutes in, I get a crappy Arrowhead or whatever I you drop it. I'm like, come on, John, I'm catching so strains. John, here's why John nowhere. doesn't like Arrowhead. <laughs> no, I know. He's told me. I understand. I hate it. I get it. Because he had to push a stranger's car in the snow, right? I got hit by ice balls, man. <laughs> I didn't even have Colts gear on. I was just standing there. I was pissed. I was ready to fight somebody. I got my ass whipped. That's why I didn't. Now, why were people... <laughs> let me ask you this. Why were people throwing... No idea. I was just an innocent bystander. Was were you wearing your Mr. Pibb shirt when this no, happened? I wish I should have been. Dr. That was the, Pepper fans? That was the 2018 wildcard game, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I don't yeah. know. They were throwing snowballs all game. Everybody was, even at fellow well, Chiefs fans. I, I don't know what it was I about. I don't like no it idea. at all. It was, it was a mess, though, because we had two flights that left on the same day, and only one got there. And I had kind of wished I was the one that didn't get there. So the one that didn't get there, what'd they do? I didn't go. <laughs> it didn't, so it just didn't take <laughs> it off. It didn't take off. Yeah. It was a crazy uh-huh. snowstorm. Was, Haley and I had to crazy. drive. We pulled off yeah. in Iowa and stayed the night there and then finished the drive yeah. in the morning. We got back late, uh, really late. Pilots had to rest, I guess, for a while or something. I don't know. FFA what, what, regulations. What everybody do after the game during the delay before the pilots uh, could... Well, I was supposed to do Colts, uh, the Colts pregame huddle, um, right. and I never even found electricity to plug anything in. It was It was a mess. I'm not going this weekend to answer. Weather that. Channel, though. Who's the Weather Channel guy? Uh, what's his name? Uh, Contori or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. Jim Contori. He sent me a tweet back then because he saw video footage of me and Tucker Barnhart and Drew Storm, who both were, were playing for the Reds at the time, pushing cars out of the way so our bus could get on right. the off-ramp and get up to the, the toilet. <laughs> Arrowhead Stadium. I like it. You Arrowhead. like it, don't you? I love well, here's Arrowhead. The thi- no, no, here's the thing. I've told this story before, John, yeah. but I'll do it again. Speaking of toilets and Arrowhead, yes. When I was a freshman at the University of Kansas, my pledge class, we got oh, I signed. Up. You went to Kansas That's for right. one. God, I hate that place too. So we got, have you been to Lawrence? Uh huh. Have you been to Lawrence? No, I've never gone. I'm never going. You know I've been through Topeka. You know what? Uh, that's Lawrence is before you get to Topeka mm-hmm. on the interstate. You know what's in Lawrence right there when you pull off the interstate to go to the University of Kansas? You know what company has a a large headquarter right there? RCA Hallmark Cards. No, it doesn't. Yeah. So, you know, think about me at Valentine's Day with Lawrence Kansas yeah. when you're writing out your there Valentine's was a, Day card. There was a uh, card-making place, a greeting card-making place in Bloomington back in the day. I forget what it was called. I worked there one summer. 
So wait a minute. So I went from the place where cards are like headquartered to where they're actually made, like from one college. I was campus actually to the other. working on an assembly line. I cut my finger once and I bled on a on bunch the, of them. So they all got packaged up and went out. Was, was it on the envelopes? Did you get a paper cut on the envelope assembly I mean, it line? Just, it bled all over the okay, back well, of them, and then um, a bunch of people bought greeting cards with my blood all over them. That's the start of a a pandemic movie right there. When we were in Arrowhead, we had to clean up Arrowhead Stadium, my pledge class, after a Kansas City Chiefs Raiders game. And we were there at like 1 o'clock in the morning still cleaning with brooms, you know, everything into the center aisles and whatever else. And one of my pledge brothers just got fed up with it and had to use the bathroom and somehow or another like through unlocked doors and whatever else found marty schottenheimer's office and we all went in and used the bathroom at marty schottenheimer's oh, that's toilet. awesome right yeah. there so there's your toilet story <laughs> with arrowhead good. stadium that is good hey by the way would you ever have selected mr pibb over dr pepper no yes ever oh i did i loved mr pibb mm, you no. wouldn't have no Good. See, uh, he's too young in a lot of ways. Oh, late seventies, <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Pibb. Mr. Mr. The, the Pibb deal. was a legit challenger. Well, to Dr. so Pepper. was. And to be honest, to be fair, this in that same era for a, a while, their Mellow Yellow was a pretty yeah. hard charger too. Because yeah, Seven Up was one of the most popular. Seven Up was as popular back then, really, as Coke and Pepsi too. Right back when we were. It was the Uncola. So it was the Uncola. Now I was a fan. You know, one when I was in college, I'll tell you a soft drink I was a fan of. Kind of underrated, I think. Um, the red flavored squirt. You ever had that? No, no, I haven't. I'm I probably fan. should have. Yeah. Well, you drank enough Big Red that didn't send you. To the I hospital. got kidney stones <laughs> from that. Yeah. What do you got stones to, from Big Red? Uh, are you well, simmering we'll do- off from? Uh, Rick Venturi was pretty candid, he right? Was, he was pretty. He was really good yesterday. I just kind of sit back and ask questions and have him take over, and he took over. That's exactly, you know, three times a year he comes on, and that is probably, wouldn't you say, James, the most popular time of the year when he comes on because you get to do a recap and then obviously talk about then. And, and clearly he is thinking Gus Bradley is not the choice, but clearly I think a lot of choice. people feel that way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you think Gus Bradley, John, in all honesty, do you think Gus Bradley is back next year because A, Shane Steichen likes continuity, B, they really believe in Gus Bradley, or C, he's under contract, so let's write it out? Um, I think the continuity part. Yeah, I do. I mean, Ste- I, that's, yeah. that's Steichen's answer, right? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't believe that. I, I just I don't happen to think that he had as much to work with as some would suggest. I yes, mean, I, I, if I totally I'm gonna, if that. I'm going to let, let there are moments in games, like against the Rams, for example, when Stafford was limping around or P.J. Walker or whatever, where you could have been more aggressive. But in large part, that secondary gets torched because that's what Chris Ballard put yes. in that secondary. Yep. So, you know, and if you keep Stephon Gilmore, maybe that's different. I don't know. If you get anybody, maybe it's different. But their their situation, you know, evolved as they took advantage and won games by virtue of their schedule. A bigger toilet game, in your opinion, Philadelphia and Tampa oh, or Pittsburgh-Buffalo? I don't like Nick Sirianni. I kind of hope they lose. I think that'd be funny. I'm not a big Nick Sirianni guy. I'm there with you. That, that whole Frank Wright crap last year, it's, you know, going over there. and yep. I mean, I understand he's your guy at all, but I just thought, man, you're a jackass. I hope he gets beat. So which is a like more him. craptacular game? Mm. What was the other one you said? Pittsburgh-Buffalo. No, I don't or, like Pittsburgh either, so Pittsburgh-Buffalo. I picked but, Buffalo but to go to the Super game, Bowl. Which game is more of a, like a, you got to be kidding me, this is the most boring matchup ever? Um, Probably 
Philly, Tampa, right? Probably Come Miami on. and the Chiefs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's why it's not even on television, right? Well, I, mean, I don't know. Pre- like you, you were leading the witness there, by the way. Zero. You were leading the witness it. at the it wasn't. It's not even on television, the Chiefs and the Dolphins. We got Peacocks. <laughs> Peacock. Uh, all right, John, you're all up buddy. next. And take yep. us home, all right? And yeah, then have buddy. a safe weekend. Obviously, doing the takeover tomorrow night. Doing it. A little 80s going tomorrow night. It'll be all 105.7. Right. Thank be you, Perfect buddy. for everybody that's snowed in. They can listen to you, exactly. listen to 80s music all night. John's up next. We'll be back with you recapping it all at noon on Monday. So thanks for listening to Quarian Company.